website Locker Room Cleanup today. Something we are painfully familiar with in the city. A disappointing finish to a Toronto Maple Leaf season, followed by a lot of people with knives out. Pretty much just ready to be angry at no matter what gets said today. These are these are such weird days. I'll just put it this way. We we don't know who is speaking yet other than the players and Kyle Dubas. It's the players, it's Kyle Dubas. That's who we're gonna get to hear from today with certainty. Their coach is clearly on the hot seat. We're gonna hear from him today? Or is this gonna go the route of Nick Nurse? Is this city gonna have, well, essentially three fired coaches in two years between Charlie Montoyo? And then these two feels like a lot of turnover time. We'll see. Is Dubas going to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Are we going to get any clarity on that today? Uh, are they negotiating in good faith? We're going to find out. This is going to, out of all the locker room cleanout days, this one, I don't want to say it's the most interesting, but it's the weirdest one. You, you'll recall back when the year Babcock was let go. And they brought in Sheldon Keefe. That one had a weirdness to it, especially since I think it was actually a joint presser with Dubas and Babcock. And Babcock was indignant and would not capitulate on anything. While Dubas kept throwing himself in front of the media slings and arrows, calling it all his fault, all his fault. And yeah, basically completely dominated the PR battle and ends up bringing in this guy. But there's never been this much uncertainty. I know last year everyone thought it was all or nothing, but there was still an an element of, okay, well, this isn't as disappointing as in the past. So what? I think pretty much we've come to the conclusion now, after yet another disappointing exit for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that there's going to be some pretty significant change here. But what the hell that is, is a bunch of different people's guesses. The franchise player is... Very soon, I think five weeks from now, enters a no-move clause where he completely calls the shots because he signed a pretty beautiful five-year deal. Mitch Marner has a year left, but I don't think that anybody has any certainty that he would not be traded. William Nylander only one year left on his deal, but what are you supposed to say about him? He was their best player in the postseason. John Tavares, their captain, would be the most obvious choice if he could move him. This was baseball, wouldn't be the biggest issue, but it's not. It's a hard cap league, and he makes $11 million a season. You have no idea what's going to happen. You have a general manager without a contract extension who probably has other suitors. I don't know how many offers there are. Pittsburgh seems very hot for Kyle Dubas. At least they've done a very good job of putting that out there and making it seem like Pittsburgh would love nothing more than to poach him and to give him, yeah, uh, an upgrade in terms of what, he is going to be given from a responsibility standpoint. So yeah, this is going to be a weird day. Buckle up. We'll be sitting here. We're going to bring you all the players. We're certainly going to bring you Kyle Dubas. And if Sheldon Keefe speaks, yeah, we're going to be talking to him. We're hearing from him as well. I, the tone of today, I would anticipate, is going to be extremely defensive from the Toronto Maple Leafs players. They obviously already immediately after the game talked about how they didn't want to give up on this core. Mitch Marner had the quote about, hey, he, what was it exactly that they all have years left on their contracts. 
Morgan Riley looked completely devastated. The people's captain, Morgan Riley, looked completely devastated. By the way, I don't, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Morgan Riley's the captain next year. Like, I, I think that there's a decent possibility of that. You remember the San Jose Sharks, a.k.a. the blueprint that the Toronto Maple Leafs basically built here. They brought in Thornton. They brought in Marlowe. They went, you know what, guys? We could be the new Sharks. Win a bunch of regular season games. Stack up the points. Get into the playoffs. And horrifically disappoint year in, year out. Learn from Marlowe. Learn from Thornton. Soak it up from these guys. Pick their brains on just exactly how to do this. But yeah, Thornton was stripped of a captaincy and still hung around with the Sharks. And I don't know if they'll do that to John Tavares. I don't even know how fair it is to do to John Tavares. Again, the guy in some regards should still be celebrated for deciding to come home when so, like nobody wanted to do this ever. This was just not a thing for a very long time in the city. He came, just like with all free agency, no one thinks that the back end of it is going to be as good as the front. He was pretty good at the front end. He had a really bad injury in the Montreal series, which kind of gets forgotten and lost in his legacy conversation in the city. But yeah, it was pretty clear watching him in that series that he's just, he's not going to be the force that you need him to be at $11 million. And from an attitude and a forward-facing standpoint, I think that, If you're pivoting into a new era of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey, you might want to be pivoting into an era that has a a little bit more bite from the guy that wears the C. And potentially, yeah, just a belief that that person is going to be with you longer than what is going to be two years for Tavares. Anyway, so yeah, players today, we'll let you know. We're going to play again some of the audio from these guys. And then whatever happens here today with Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, We're going to find out fairly shortly because the players are supposed to start talking at nine and already they're starting to push it back a little bit, which is weird. The weirdness continues with this hockey club. But I I want to spend a couple minutes before we do that, just sharing some thoughts I've had since the exit because we we do least talk, Justin Bourne, Sam McKee and I, and we got to roll on there seconds after the puck goes in the back of the net. And you're... uh, you're emotional and you've just seen the game for the first time. And, and I love doing those post game reaction podcasts. And I absolutely, I don't think that too much of my, uh, too many of my opinions have changed from what we first saw, but I think that there's just more of a, a sadness that this city got its hopes up again and had them crushed that of course the Toronto Maple Leafs after finally getting out of the first round, they, only win one more game and it's against a Florida Panthers team where they were once again favored. And, and this is just where I'm coming away with it. I, I, again, I don't, I don't, I don't think there are too many people with the other opinion, which is, I, I don't like people who zag just for the sake of zagging. I know that there are some people that have tied this Toronto Maple Leafs core and Kyle Dubas into their identity. They're terrified of having it be wrong or whatever. And so they're just going to continue to double down, double down, double down, double down. But here are just some facts. In Kyle, during Kyle Dubas's tenure as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Leafs have been favorites, pretty strong favorites, in three playoff series. And yes, we're counting Columbus now. And they've really come up short. They lost all, those, all three of those series. And, and it was strange because Toronto 
it, it did look like they had shown some progress in the Tampa series last year. And you could understand the running it back. The question, if you're going to go back through the timeline and wonder certain stuff, is what would have happened if they shook things up after the Montreal season? And I think it's a fair one. But also, you can understand the position of Kyle Dubas wanting to bet on talent and wanting to bet on, yeah, what was the greatest accumulation of that that this organization had had since before the salary cap was put in. So the hindsight stuff with that is, all right, where were you? Where was I? I had moments where I wanted them to trade players. I certainly wanted them to trade Marner after the disappointing loss to Montreal. And we had witnessed him just put puck over the glass, of puck over the glass. But then it looked kind of like a Dumbo's take for a little while because Mitch Marner was dominating. And this year, this is where I'm at with this core. They're just, they're not a championship core. And we need to stop deluding ourselves into believing that that is the case. Did they get over the hurdle? Yes. But the best part of them winning the first round now for me, the basically the biggest spin that I can take from it is that now we've recalibrated our expectations in this city. We, we don't have to sit here anymore and just go, just get out of the first round and what was going to happen out of the first round and all this, all the demons and the blah, 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 blah. Treating a first round victory like it was a Stanley Cup finals win or at least going to a finals. The celebrations in the street, the cringy we want Florida chant from the teenagers that will haunt us forever. We're going to need to follow those kids and be like 20 years from now, where are they? The we want Florida kids. <laughs> it's all living different spots. Most of them moved to South America. Can't exist here. But yeah, they're just, they're not a championship team. All right. They were 11 wins away from a Stanley Cup. Now the calibration is correct. What is this about? It's not about winning a first round. It's about getting out of the first round, winning the second round, winning the third round, and winning a Stanley Cup. They don't chant 67 because of playoff round wins. They cheer because of, oh, that's the last time this city got a cup. Now we're back into this mode. How did the Toronto Maple Leafs get a Stanley Cup? That was where this was at when this course started, and then we lost sight of it because it was just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. But did, how many of you really did watch this series? And again, I'm not talking to those of you that were gleefully rooting for them to lose because at one point you were in a position that they just didn't have it. Now you feel like, oh my God, I'm so justified. I'm, uh, or the other side, which is the, the Toronto Maple Leafs still, they got a goal lead and they were there and they were the better team in the series. That, those people, my God. L- go watch some of these other games. You got to step outside the Toronto Maple Leafs for just two seconds. And you also have to listen to so many of the players and the executives and the people that have covered this game for forever and go, it's two different sports going from the regular season to the postseason in hockey. Enough bitching about the officiating, for God's sakes. Did they miss calls? Did the whistle go away? Absolutely it did. You know what went away more than that? The star players in game three, when they allow themselves to go down 3-0 and remove all room for any error, where they cost themselves everything by putting a combined, what was it? Matthews with two, Marner with two, I think Nylander with one, and Tavares with one in that game three loss. That was their moment. That was their time to show that they were different. And there was reason to believe that they were different. And I thought they were too. There were moments this year where I thought, man, Mitch Marner does look like he's going to carry something else into the postseason. There's just more ownership over this team. He looks more confident. He looks comfortable in his skates. 
He looks just like a guy who's going to be able to play his style in the postseason. And he had some great games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially early on in that series. But as it went on, he faded away. Austin Matthews won a Hart Trophy a year ago. He won them a game against the Tampa Bay Lightning where we thought that was the breakthrough moment. You're down, you're on the mat, and the Leafs climb back and beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, a championship-winning team with a multi-goal lead, and Toronto flips the script on them, comes back and ends up winning a series. We thought demons and ghosts and all these things were killed. But as the playoffs wore on, and as you saw them against the Florida Panthers, did you feel like they were going to be a championship-winning team? There were moments, there were periods, the second period, or sorry, the first period of the second game at home, least looked like they were going to string it together. Then what happens? What happened? They couldn't close out a period, and they never had that same bite for the rest of the hockey game. They got some shots on net. You can show me all the stats. I get it. You can show me all the fancy ones, the offensive zone possession time. They're actually not that stacked. Um, so you can go pull those up against Florida. You're going to be a little disappointed. Toronto had stretches where they looked really good, but they were never able to do it consistently. And that's just been one of the things with this team. You've never been able to do it consistently. You've never been able to put it into the Stanley cup playoffs. And that's just how I feel is they put a championship group to me around the core this time. They brought in Ryan O'Reilly. Selkie guy, Conn Smythe guy brought him in, felt different. Wasn't there for a lot of the regular season because he was hurt, but you could feel his presence when he was, and you certainly felt his presence in the first round when he scored that game-tying goal. They went into overtime and won. Luke Shen, probably their second-best defenseman during the playoffs. I know Brody played more. You can nitpick with me if you want to do that one, but they brought in Luke Shen, and he was brilliant. But it, it felt like they were geared to beat Tampa Bay, not to win a Stanley Cup when we started to watch them against Florida. They brought in Nolachari, who hit everybody a real gritty player who just had some real moments this postseason. Sam Lafferty came in against Florida, showed off his speed, looked really good. Matthew Nyes emerged. Sucks that he got hurt, but the kid showed that he could play, that he was fearless, and that he's a really, really important piece of this future moving forward. But realistically, the, the stars were not consistent enough. They were not good enough. Nylander was good in the final couple of games. He also went a stretch before that where he wasn't scoring. And that's the thing about the playoffs is we get the recency bias. And we go, oh, well, no, you can't put Nylander in that group because he showed up in those games. What about all the ones where he didn't score goals? He's a 40-goal scorer. I think he went five or six games without a goal in the postseason. He was brutal when the Leafs were on home ice in their first two games of the series against Florida. He turned it on. He found his game. Good for him. I like Nylander. I think that there's a real conversation about him being one of the guys that stays here. But... To me, none of these guys should escape the criticism. Except for, again, Morgan Riley, the people's captain who played brilliantly essentially the entire playoffs, laid it out on the line, and as I said on Leafs Talk, left, I think, a part of himself in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Has endeared himself to Leaf fans in a way that I wasn't sure was going to happen given his regular season and the contract extension and the way that the narrative seemed to be shifting with Morgan Riley. Okay, so now what? Now what happens? It's not a championship-winning team. It's not a group that you you can bet on anymore. There is a missing element to these guys of next gear, nastiness, resilience, something that is just not there. 
It's just not. Go watch other teams. Go watch 38-year-old Joe Pavelski find a way to score more goals in one game than the core four had in this entire series. Go watch this gutsy Kraken team battle tooth and nail and not give up any square inch of the ice and find a way to win. And for those of you, the beauty of the having the Panthers won now too is that you've now got Columbus, Montreal, and Florida on the resume. Okay, there's no more, oh, if only we had played Tampa. This would have been completely different had Toronto played a Bruins team and even gone to five and you could have talked yourself into, man, this was a generational Bruins team. That Florida team is not, they're not what the Toronto Maple Leafs is supposed to be. Is anyone going to be shocked if Florida gets bounced by Carolina and dispatched fairly quickly? Look at that Carolina team. They're missing three of their top scorers. Svechnikov, down. They're fine. Pacioretty, gone before they could even get a shot. Doesn't matter. Teravinen, out. Doesn't matter. Found a way. Closed it out. Beat that Devils team. That Devils team resembled a lot more of what Toronto was. Felt like they were young. They hadn't learned how to do it yet. They weren't quite there. I don't know what else you need to see with this group that is going to convince you that it's just not enough. If you're really just convinced that hockey is just a sport of luck, right, then you should be convincing yourself that they finally were due to win a series, which they did against Tampa Bay. There's not a lot of evidence to indicate that these guys have what it takes as they're currently constructed to win a Stanley Cup. I'm sorry. They've tried all these different iterations around the core. They were supposed to be, they were too young, there was a pandemic. The season was weird. It was always somebody else's fault. Bad refereeing, tough matchups, bad bounces, injuries. Go through it. It's done. It's over defending this core. And where I'm at with it, where I sit today, is this. You have to negotiate with Kyle Dubas. I, I, is he a perfect GM? No. Has he failed spectacularly? Yes. Like flat out. It, he has won one playoff series during his five-year tenure as a general manager with arguably the greatest gift that anyone has ever been handed in this city from a sport talent standpoint. Yeah, it's a salary cap era. He got some bad breaks with the cap not going up. But ultimately, right now, part of the Leafs crunch that they're in is that they gave Austin Matthews more money per season than any player that wasn't Connor McDavid, except for Connor McDavid took eight years. Austin Matthews took five. Mitch Marner took six and didn't give up a penny. They lost half a season of William Nylander negotiating and fighting over essentially nickels and dimes, tried to put the foot down, did the contracts backwards, and now they're in a spot where Nylander's up, Matthews is up, Marner's impending, and they've got $11 million a season of John Tavares, who's clearly not the same player anymore. They missed Tavares being in his prime window with these guys being in their prime window, and, and that part of this feels done. You're not going to get a better version of John Tavares. And at this point, as much as I still believe that, you know, Austin Matthews has more to give and William Nylander has more to give. And he really, again, did show some brilliance and stretches. So did Matthews. So did Marner. All of those guys had good games in the playoffs. They did not string it together consistently. And there were not, there was way too little dominance from guys who were supposed to be dominant players, especially given this opponent. So you have to renegotiate with Kyle Dubas because unfortunately he learned on the job. He did what a lot of us do. You show up, you start a job, you're not as good as it. Five years from now, you're so much better at the job. And you know what? Sometimes you're one of the best at the job. And, and I don't know if someone presents me with a better option than Kyle Dubas, I'll listen. If you think that 
there's a culture that is top down from him that is pervasive with these guys. I'll listen to that argument too. I just, I don't know what the better option from a general manager standpoint is this very moment. That's better than Kyle Dubas. I liked Kyle Dubas's deadline. I think it worked out for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think he's evolved as a general manager. I think that he's made changes throughout his career. I also, I don't have a strong conviction that he should be back. I'm saying that you got to negotiate with him. I don't really love the idea that a part of this appears to be that Kyle Dubas is essentially going to get or need to be getting more autonomy in his role. That Kyle Dubas is going to have to have not just the money, not just the term, but also autonomy and, yeah, more power within the organization. Especially before, what, you know exactly what his plan is? And how is he supposed to know what his plan is at this point? How do they even know? They're going to have to know Matthews first. Again, it's just like when they had to negotiate with Nylander. Everything seems a little backwards and disorganized. This is the problem with having this, the lame duck GM and a player that's going to be walking into contract negotiations, the ilk of Austin Matthews, where you're going to really have to know. Because as crazy as this sounds, there could be a scenario here where Austin Matthews tells you over the coming couple of weeks that he does not want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf anymore. That he is not, or maybe not even that, but that he's not going to resign here. And then what? And then what do you do? You have to take offers. And then who's going to be doing that? That almost gives Kyle Dubas more leverage because what, you're going to parachute somebody in to get that done? They're in a really, really tough spot. And that's why, again, they have to negotiate with him. He knows what is he laid out in front of him. He knows what this organization has. He knows these players. It's just so hard for me to understand or try to see a scenario where you bring in a new GM and they're going to be able to figure that out over the next couple of weeks. He's got to fire his coach. Obviously, everybody knows that at this point. And, and do I think Sheldon Keefe has taken too much flack? Yeah, I do. But ultimately, here's the deal. He's been out coached his entire tenure, every single playoff series that he's ever been in. I've never felt like watching Sheldon Keefe in the playoffs that this was a guy who had a real command of it. The shuffling and the overshuffling, and then the resistance to breaking up Matthews and Marner. And just, he never seemed to have a good feel for his rosters. Sometimes the tinkering would work. Other times it just felt desperate. There were reports that the bench, even when they first went to the 11 and 7, was a disaster. I just, I, I can't see it. It's got to change. It's got to be a new coach. But that also can't be all of it because those players, those guys that were on the ice, they have to have some ownership of this. It's hard because basically the counter argument to this is always going to be the same thing, which is, oh, well, if you're just going to trade talented players for the sake of trading them, you're going to look like an idiot. Yeah, those guys are talented. They don't work together as a core. You have to try something new. If you think they're as good as you think they are, you should want them to trade at least one of these players. So that you can see if it changes the dynamic a little bit here. But to me with the Leafs, I just saw a team that didn't have enough resilience. That was too comfortable in tough moments. And frankly, just seems too okay with losing. They just feel too okay with some of the same things the fans do. Which is, oh, you know, you got goalie and you outshot them. And sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't attitude, right? You got to keep rolling it back because this is a sport where luck and blah, blah, blah. No. Where was the four check? How many times did the Maple Leafs put the puck in their own end? Or sorry, in, in Florida's end. Florida with a shaky blue line. Radko Gudis back there. Is it, you think that's Eric Carlson? I think there's Chris Pronger back there? No, it was a 35-year-old Mark Stahl. 
Radko Gudis. All of a sudden, Brandon Montour was turned into Bobby Orr, the way that people were talking about him. How many times did those guys go in and really put a body on somebody? Versus how many times they go back there and then someone was on their ass because they couldn't stay on their skates. Somebody ends up falling down and then Florida's breaking the puck out pretty much with no resistance at all. I love that the Maple Leafs are a good team at forcing turnovers at times, but you need one of your stars to be able to put a body on somebody. And those same four guys, year in, year out, they just have that identity of not nasty enough, not clutch enough, and missing the intangibles. I'm sorry. And it was one thing to be missing the intangibles as long as you're producing on the stat sheets, right? Matthews didn't score a goal. What are you supposed to say about that? Like, what kind of an excuse are you supposed to have for an $11 million player? The greatest five-on-five goal scorer since he came into the league, not having a goal against a leaky Panthers team. So to me, it's this. You're renegotiating with Kyle Dubas, and this is where I sit today. I might change my mind over the course of this. You're renegotiating with Kyle Dubas. You're trying to find something tenable, but... There is a realistic option that he leaves, so you have to absolutely make sure that there's a decent backup plan in place. And maybe that backup plan, straight up, involves his co-pilot, Brandon Pridham. It doesn't get talked about enough. I'm not really sure why that is, because maybe just he's a salary cap guy. He's looked at this assistant GM, but he's been there every step of the way, and maybe he's the guy. It's just tough to believe that a guy is going to step in to his very first job as the, the guy who wears the crown and starts making the big-time deals and starts calling up all the other GMs. He calls up Steve Eiserman and goes, let's do some negotiating. You got to have a good backup plan in place in case Kyle Dubas wants to go, in case things feel like you can't have it, or in case you do feel like the culture of this organization, the passivity with failure has gone too far, and it starts from the top. From that point on, the, the next domino is clearly what does Austin Matthews want? I'm so frustrated with Matthews. I feel what a lot of you feel, where you get to question now what kind of player he is, whether or not he is a guy that can get it done on the biggest stage, whether he is one of the game's greats or whether he is a regular season great. I don't, I don't know about that anymore. I really thought Austin Matthews was one of the game's very best players. And he had that moment against Tampa where I went, man, he did it. He's here. He put together good shifts. But my question, as always with all this stuff is, what is the bar? What is the bar that you want to hold these guys to? Because if you think Kyle Dubas is an awesome GM, well, he's got one playoff series in five years. If you think Austin Matthews is one of the game's best players, why is he only won one playoff series in seven seasons? Why is it that a guy in his prime of primes was not able to score against the Florida Panthers? And frankly, and not even be able to score, not impose himself more on these hockey games. Why weren't you feeling Austin Matthews' presence shift to shift, night in, night out? What is the bar? What is the bar of your expectation? Because mine is to win a Stanley Cup. And what we've seen from Austin Matthews so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's not enough to do that. But you got to find out what he wants. 
if he wants desperately to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, which he should, by the way, which he absolutely should. I know it's player empowerment era, and I know that the Leafs have really been at the forefront of that with their guys and that Matthews has called a lot of the shots. He has to desperately want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. He should be. This is some of the best fans on earth. One of the most tortured markets and one of the most, the highest upsides when it comes to winning. Austin Matthews should absolutely be dying to be here. At times, I wondered if he's sick of it. Don't you wonder that sometimes? Like, we're going to listen to these media availabilities today. Do you really think that Matthews is going to step to the podium today and really own it and say, I want to be here. We weren't good enough. I hate losing. Do you feel like, like, yeah, we saw that one documentary and he looked very disappointed. I know these guys care. I know he doesn't like losing. I know he'd rather win. But do you ever get the sense that he needs it? And what does that do for the rest of your group? What does it mean? What does it mean that throughout these Stanley Cup playoffs, we had to do shows where I would come on here and say, it actually needs to be Matthews that tells Bunting to cool it, not Mark Giordano? Why does it still feel like the best player, the guy with the nickname Poppy, doesn't have more control over the the group itself or doesn't seem to want to have more of that? Like, I don't think you're going to confuse him from Nathan McKinnon personality-wise or Sidney Crosby personality-wise and the way that they're geared towards this game. But you got to find out what he wants. If he wants to sign long-term, he wants to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, this is what he's all about, then you got to get that done, and that's the first domino. If he wants to trade, it throws everything, or he won't re-sign. I, flat out, if Austin Matthews tells you that he is not going to re-sign, you have to call every single team in the league and make it openly known that he is available. It's crazy to think that because this game, you do not want to give up on some of the best talent. You just don't. That's all of sports. Who who wants to give up on one of the best players? But you also cannot at all, you cannot at all run the risk of him going into that no-move clause and limiting what you could get back for Austin Matthews. That's the ultimate nightmare. Just cannot have it. Cannot, cannot, cannot have it. You have to have as much leverage as possible with one of the game's most valuable players. That's just an absolute certainty. So really, he's the first domino. Everybody knows it. It's just really tough because we do not know where he stands. And he's going to be 26 years old in the very prime of his career without a contract extension going on beyond last year. But you can't do an own rental with one of those guys. I don't even know what that would set the franchise back. Imagine coming out of this thing with no Stanley Cups like everybody thought Toronto was going to have. People were already counting the rings when they started accumulating these guys in drafts. To come out of this with no rings and then nothing back for Austin Matthews other than maybe one playoff victory? No, 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 no. you got to make sure that's moved. And if you can get him done, unfortunately, a big part of getting him done is probably the way that he feels about what they're going to do with the rest of the core. He clearly loves playing with Marner. Like, there's a reason why he keeps up ending up on his line. I was a big reason why Babcock ended up getting fired. He likes Marner. He likes having that setup guy. They obviously get along with one another. They've been through a lot together. You can understand that he wants to keep him here. But that would be the next domino is which one of these guys is going to really impact the contract negotiation or is it going to? Because... That's, that's the part of this. I don't know what the hell you do. If Austin Matthews tells you, no, I need Mitch Marner back or I'm not resigning here. Like what, what are you supposed to say that I need William Nylander back or I'm not resigning here. What, what the hell are you supposed to do then? That's terrifying. 
But to me, the guy that you kind of circle and say, it's, it's Marner. He's got term left on his deal. He doesn't have the no-move clause. The cap isn't going to be going up enough over these next couple of years that it's all of a sudden going to drastically alter the value of that deal. And he, out of all of these guys, to me, has not been able to show the, I'm going to win in the playoffs. He had moments. But it just feels like this market overwhelms him at times. That being a Toronto Maple Leaf, probably a boyhood dream, something that's obviously very connected to him. It's just hard. I get it. It's hard. He took all the money. The critics are out. But when I'm talking about that forecheck and that nastiness and that just ability, that tenacity, I'm not, I've not seen it in the playoffs. I've seen it for some a few moments. But I, I don't see it consistently enough. To me, that's what you circle. Mitch Marner is the number one guy, to me, that you're looking at moving. It depends, again, on what Nylander and what Matthews want to do contractually, but I think if you have your druthers, you're not going to be able to move John Tavares. I think at best you're stripping him to the sea and you're moving him out to the wing. I can't imagine another team taking him on, and I don't know what amount the Leafs would have to eat on the contract to make sure that that happened. But either way, I don't think it's happening. comes down to this. Does, Marner, does Matthews want to trade? Then you have it. It's pretty simple. Then everything's on the table, including the nuclear option. Does Nylander want to resign? And can you move Mitch Marner and will it affect those guys? But boy, oh boy, oh boy. Getting weirder, by the way. We still haven't heard from anybody, which makes me start to think that, yeah, something, something has happened and that they're probably going to announce something fairly big here today. So stay tuned. Before we take the break, I just want to quickly do my Botano best bet, which again, three in a row. Three in a row. Start of the week off ice cold. I had absolutely nothing. Three in a row. I've been waiting for the Jays game to go up. Again, this uh, best best brought to you by Botano Sportsbook. My favorite sportsbook, the only sportsbook that I use now because, again, it has a million different options. It's got early payouts. There's just a, a million different reasons to be on this book. I'm telling you, if you like to, if you like to place a wager, use it. I, I, I got my brother on it when he came down this weekend, and, yeah, he's been using the exact same book, and all we do is talk about how good it is. So reach out to me in the DMs, at JD Bunkus, on Twitter and or Instagram if you're interested in the book. Um, I'll try to help set you up. But I've been waiting for the Jays to pop up, and I still have a line, which I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't know why we're not getting it, because normally that's a we don't know who the pitchers are. But we t- I thought we knew tonight that it was going to be Brito for the Yankees and Manoa for the Jays. And I kind of like the Jays tonight because they're rolling at home. They just seem to have something going right now. It's a big game. And then Manoa, who has really been disappointing this season, uh, this is kind of a gut slash information pick. Guy does really well against the Yankees. There's something about the Yankees that he just loves. He adores performing against these guys. And so I really wanted to take either the Yankees under or a Manoa strikeout prop or something like that, but I, I do not see anything up anywhere for the Blue Jays. So stay tuned for that. Take a little peek at that later. What, you got something, Ezo? On MLB.com, the Yankees uh, starters listed as TBD. Come on, Yankees. Get it done. Put a starter in here. Pick a guy so that we can make our bets. Anyway, I like the Jays tonight. But I actually also like some favorites, and I'm going to do my very first bet, bet, best bet as a parlay. Because it's kind of thin tonight. Don't have any NBA. By the way, hockey starting last night at 10 o'clock, the Oilers. What are we doing? 10 o'clock on a Sunday. Best player on the planet. Huge legacy moment for him and Dreisaitl. 
10 o'clock at night. What are we doing? What, what is this league doing? I, I, it's so easy to dunk on it. So looking at this right now, I'm going to do a little parlay. I'm nervous because I've never done this one before. But we're going to parlay two favorites, and it's going to bring us up to plus 125. Merrill Kelly is pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's good. Get to know him. He's playing against the Oakland Athletics. I don't like the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not a very good baseball team. Not a reliable baseball team, but you know what's reliable? The Oakland Athletics being really bad. And I don't... They're, Oakland's bats have been surprisingly a little bit better than I thought. It's been their starting pitching that's been horrific this year. But yeah, I, I just think that they will beat them. I just think that they will get this done. They will find a way to win this game. I like the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm putting it with the Houston Astros. Houston Astros, huge pitching advantage in this game. I think that the line is not sharp enough. I think you're getting a good value. Minus 189 for the Astros against the Chicago Cubs team. That's throwing Jamison Tyon and his ERA of six up on the mound. So I'm going to roll with that. Plus 125, that's a two-pick parlay. That is my Botano best bet of the day. Best bets brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, my favorite sportsbook. Reach out anytime. The game starts now. Quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to start hearing from the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. Remember how pissed off the former Blackhawks players used to get? Like, hockey players say nothing when it comes to really criticizing each other. Often, anyways. I shouldn't say always. But it's pretty rare in this sport for people to just, you know, have a real bite to their commentary. Especially when it's former players, current players, right? It takes a while. It takes some seasoning in the media before that happens. Chicago Blackhawks guys, like Patrick Sharks, Sharp stepped off the ice and was like, don't compare us to those guys. We went, why not, though? It's a compliment to you, all these good players that Toronto has. Chicago guys? And when we have rings. We won things. And, yeah, those guys, I wonder if they did, like, the 72 Dolphins stuff every time the Leafs lose in the Stanley Cup playoffs, those, those Chicago teams that everyone compared them to. Basically, we compared every Toronto team to multiple winners. Did it with the Penguins, too. Remember when Toronto didn't have a blue line? They didn't have a defense core? We went, oh, it doesn't matter. The Pittsburgh Penguins won without a blue line. They did it without a blue line. Yeah. They have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in their primes. And also they did have Chris Letang on that blue line. Actually, I think he was hurt that year. Anyway, uh, Justin Bourne, my co-host on Leafs Talk, and of course, Real Kipper and Bourne. I want to talk to you quickly before we hear from some of these players today. And it's getting weird out here, you know? Like, they were supposed to be up at 9. I just did 36 minutes of ranting and raving, Justin. So, welcome. <laughs> welcome for the... <laughs> You're like, days. So, I'm sorry to some of those listeners. Um, what do you think's happening here? You know, just think of the magnitude of the decisions being made right yeah, I know, now. Like, dude. You know, like, I, the one thing that I'm stuck on is every, everything I read, and that's what I've been spending my morning doing, is kind of trying to catch up on what everyone thinks is going on. Yeah. And everything I read is like, you got to start with, okay, Shani and Dubas. Are Shani and Dubas going to be here before mm-hmm. he can do anything else? But the most important person of all is Austin Matthews. I, I think you would agree with me there, yes. right? Yep. So... To me, does it affect Matthew's decision to be here or not if Dubas is here or if even Keith is here, probably not Keith, but Dubas for sure. So the most important thing is probably getting Matthew sober enough to talk about, hey, the season just ended. We need to have a chit chat. Like, what are your thoughts on this Dubas thing? Like, do you need him to be around? Is this, are you married to him? 
Like, I think that's the first conversation. Then you get the Dubas conversation, and then you start figuring things out. They're probably figuring things out, is my point, which is why they're not, you know, talking yet. Dude, okay. Yeah, I'm so glad you said this, because th- this is the, the absolute weirdness. I, I don't think they're waiting because they're figuring out how to announce Sheldon Keefe's firing, right? This is not why this is all getting... You're right! There's so much! And now I keep thinking, all year long we were going, it's all in, it's all in, it's all or nothing, it's all or nothing. And if they don't get past the first round, then it's an easy decision. Dubas goes away, and Shanahan, the change, and all, everyone's gone, and everything's on the table, new GM. But then they get into May... And you realize that they're a month away from Austin Matthews being able to call basically every shot in the organization, right? Like, it seems like a bit of an oversight by somebody somewhere doing this. If it was ever on the table for them to bring back Dubas and Shanahan without basically, they should have had one of two scenarios, in, in my opinion, at this point. They should have basically had a contract drawn up that Kyle Dubas and Shanahan were going to accept, you know, long-term extensions, and they were going to walk in if it was whatever parameter. Or they should have just said, yeah, it's a disappointing exit. You guys are gone immediately, and we've got our backup plan in place. Because to now be sort of shuffling and trying to figure out what gets done first in what order, this feels incredibly hectic. But this is the tough one. I don't know who to blame. I don't know who to blame for this. But it seems like lame duck GMs, as that strategy, the strategy that the Leafs have employed of literally all or nothing is bad. It's not a good strategy. Do not recommend. No. One star. No, yeah. You do not want to have your GM without any, oh, I don't know, authority? That seems like yeah. a fairly important <laughs> thing to have. So, um, yeah, you know, and what's crazier, too, is like now that they're out, you're going to hear a lot of stuff like Brandon Pridham might be the GM of yeah. the Calgary Flames. Like say what you will about the decision-making over the last few years, of this management team, they have been able to make decisions because they have mm-hmm. tap danced the hell out of that salary cap. He's done a great job. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that there will be other pieces in motion, you know, reading this morning, you know, I guess the other thing with this is like, okay, and you want the core to, to, to break up, right? Well, yeah. look around the league and who are you going to trade for? So Winnipeg's got Shifley and Wheeler and Dubois and Hellebuck up. Like there, suddenly things become interesting when you really look around the league. And so it's a lot at once. And I hope that they have put a lot of time into looking ahead. But this morning, I know I'm waking up really just trying to get a grasp on the scope of the possible scenario. Absolutely, man. It's funny to fantasize about this weird musical chairs of all the disappointing Canadian teams just shuffling the deck chairs, yeah. right? Like them all getting together in a room and going, hey, everybody hates us. <laughs> everybody, everybody hates our guys and our teams. But what if we move one of your guys here, one of your guys there, and then we'll try to maybe yeah. make these puzzle pieces fit a little bit better? No, you're right. The, the magnitude and the scope of it is massive because it seemed so easy when we were discussing it all year long. Okay, this is the parameter, then you do this, and then the shake up the core. And like I mentioned, the Matthews thing, he just he feels like he's holding this organization in his hands right now. And I he can't agent a lot of credit for that. Yeah, he does deserve a lot of credit for that. And his agent deserves a lot of credit for that. But man, I can't remember a time where all of a sudden it felt this way, where one player had this kind of control. I wasn't around for Gretzky stuff, right? I, like, I've read about it. I remember I read the yeah. Sports Illustrated book that was all the compilation of all of his articles that were written about him. That was a really nice window into the Gretzky experience. But I imagine that he had some immeasurable amount of power over the LA Kings organization, especially when he got there. But, man, this is just, this feels like unprecedented territory when it comes to player empowerment yeah. in the NHL for Austin Matthews. Well, and I think... You know, we the reason that we didn't see it coming as much as, you know, you didn't know the way this was going to play out 
And there was the possibility that it was going to play out cleanly in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Like they were going to lose to Tampa Bay and it did not matter what Matthews wanted or what anyone wanted. Everyone had to go. Dubas Mm -hmm. had to go, yada, yada. Or they were going to go deep and it was a success and, you know, okay, this can work and yada, yada there. But like, this is just such a mushy middle to, you know, lose in the second round and game five and, you know, kind of look, yeah, you're not bad, getting closer. Like, it just it didn't play out as cleanly as we hoped. So I think that that complicates things a little bit because it becomes a Rorschach test where people are just seeing what they want to see or what they already saw in this group. See, I actually, I don't think we got the real mushy middle because now to me, like what we saw in that Panther series, I'm not going to forget the first three games. And even Keith said it at the podium after the game, right, was, we lost this series in the first three games. And it's it's such a funny quote because you go, uh, yeah, <laughs> you went down 0-3. Thank yeah. you for this. But also, it's just it serves as a reminder for everyone else that saw Toronto find a way to win game four in Florida and then, what, outplay the Panthers for a sizable portion of game five, but not to a degree that was just nasty and overwhelming and yeah. had a real element of bite. I think it's pretty clear at this point that, yes, the core four needs a shakeup. And I think the real difficulty here is it probably would have been wise to explore moving off of the general manager and really shake up the culture from the top down. But because of these timelines that they're operating in and the fact that, yeah, you're right, Brandon Pridham, I actually like the idea of him getting more opportunity here because of what he has done. Mm -hmm. But are you really going to hand the car keys over to a first-time general manager where he goes calling other general managers and going, so we've got Mitch Marner to trade? They go, what? You know, (laughs) what? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that just seems like a lot of responsibility. It also seems kind of like a bad move considering they let Kyle Dubas learn on the job. I think Dubas became a very good GM, and and I do think he is a good one. But he also learned on the job. I think it's pretty clear that – what? Yeah, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. And and they can't have another guy do that. If they're pivoting off of him, to me anyways, they've got to bring in some hard-ass negotiator. I just don't know who that is. Like, what? They're, is it going to be better if they bring in David Poyle? I, like, I don't think so. So what? You know, it's the options yeah. are very, very difficult given the time constraints here. I just, I, I think that they, basically they're in a position right now where they kind of have to bring back Dubas because the other options are handing someone over you know, like in the movies where they have the paperwork, they hand over to a legal team and they go, we're going to drown them in paperwork. It's like, it's yeah. like, that's what this feels like a new GM would be walking into. Oh, hey, you got five weeks to figure out whether or not the franchise's yeah. best player since God knows who, since there was no salary cap that you can figure that out. Go. This reminds me of like how George W. Bush got reelected for a second term. They're like, he was like, it was a war. Yeah. You can't change horses <laughs> mid-war. Like, he started yeah. the war. Horses. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> it is. Yeah. And like a Dubas thing where it's like, it would almost be too much for someone to come in and sort out. But I do think, you know, back to like the Kipper article about, you know, why there wasn't an extension. It was that Dubas had wanted more money, you mm-hmm. know, bet on yourself, one of those things. And you more know, power. That may have. Yeah, and that may have backfired a little bit and that I don't think he showed you know enough to get paid some crazy Masai Ujiri dollars, but mm-hmm. maybe then the you know maybe then that all that happened was he's going to get paid less, you know, rather than the decision being to get rid of him. So I can see it too where they say lots going on, he's got a good handle of everything right now, he's made pretty good decisions with this stuff, you know, outside of the contracts, you know, the the cost of them. Um, you know, yeah, bring him back just cheaper. Yeah, I just don't well, that's the problem here, right? This is the this is actually the real Dubas issue is I, I wouldn't have that big of a problem bringing him back, which is surprising to me because 
I, like, when we finished the show Friday night and I woke up Saturday morning, I, w- I was like, Dubas is gone. You know, I was talking to my brother and I'm like, this has got to change, this whole thing and whatever. But yeah, there's no option to me that looks better than having Kyle Dubas. The issue is, is that what you'd really like to have is him on a shorter term kind of contract, essentially, or one that they were at least willing to part with him fairly early on in the, the extension, but where he doesn't get more power, like giving him more autonomy at this point, like rewarding him for this failure feels weird. And, and I don't know if that's just me being immature, like what this is, but could you imagine mm. that this happens and all of a sudden they go, yeah, Dubas has more autonomy, more money, more power, longer term extension. You kind of look at it and go, well, what did he promise you in the room then? Because yeah. that seems odd that he would get that before the other stuff is figured out. Like, oh, what, he pinky promised you that he'll trade Mitch Marner? Like, I don't, I don't know what's supposed to happen there either. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. It's it, Part of the problem I think that people have with this whole past run of years, call it seven if you want, maybe it's less if you, you know, when he took over and Keith came around. But part of the problem is lack of accountability where he mm-hmm. said, you know, it's been dredged up a lot where Keith was hard on the guys early in the season that had to come out and apologize or, you know, guys get benched for a shift and, you know, all respect to my co-host uh, Kipper, but, you know, I got him going, you know, like, how do you you know, how do you press this button and bench him for a shift? You know, it's like, well, God damn. you know, yeah. like these guys are, they, they deserve to, they're, they're at the sort of the whim of their coach, right? If they, if they're not told to play, they should just sit in the bench and wait for their turn. And it just hasn't happened with this core. Uh, I do know something has to change. It's just, it's wildly messy, wildly messy. And I don't really understand how, no one seemed prepared for it. <laughs> you know, like we all just yeah. seem like, holy crap, this is really messy. We walked into a room and it's all on fire. And you go, damn, well, nobody seemed to have saw it being this bad considering, again, they did get out of the first round. Borny, uh, thanks for jumping on. I appreciate you always. And yeah, can't wait to listen to you guys today after we're going to hear from Kyle Dubas speaking. Um, thanks, right. pal. See ya. Uh, there goes Justin Bourne, my co-host on Leafs Talk. And of course, Real Kipper and Bourne that you can listen to later today. They've been moving around. What time are they at today? You guys have that in front of you? They're three to five? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back, and now we have the players that have started to speak. And they've started to speak without... Yeah. Is that a player that has spoken? You really want to interrupt me to tell me that it's not... uh, We don't have a player spoken when the player's speaking? Thank you. Where players have started speaking... We're going to get them on, and we're going to start hearing from what they've got to say. That's next. I'm trying. I don't want to read too much into this. But this does get back to a little bit of what I was talking about before and even adds to, for me anyways, to the oddity of today, which is, so the players all speak, right? And they're late. And there's weird silence around the organization right now. And Bourne probably outlined a pretty good explanation as to what is happening with part of this is that the Leafs, under pretty great duress, granted of their own making, are trying to figure out a lot of things on the fly. Like if you're Kyle Dubas and you're not returning, why would you want to fire your guy and your coach? Mm, Maybe not. Let someone else do that. I don't want to fire my friend. You do it. So you don't get to do that. But what, are you going to trot Sheldon Keefe out and have him do a media day? Which is going to be extremely difficult given 
he'll be asked about his employment, his job, his tenure, his performance. Normally they try to shield people from stuff like that. Dubas has to do it no matter what. But you can understand why the Keefe part of this is strange. But getting back to the, the way this organization is and just the culture, because I think sometimes we overdo it with that term in sports, but with the Leafs, it's pretty clear to me anyways that the thing that they brought Lou Lamorello in here for was to break up the quote-unquote country club. And it just feels like there is a level of forgiveness with these guys that's pretty unique in professional sports. It's funny that the team that really I'm reminded of the most when it comes to cross-sport parallels with the Leafs has always been the 76ers. Like people love bringing up the Knicks because the market and all this different stuff. But I watched the Sixers lose and they're in the second round again too. Same thing, Celtics. They found ways to win more games. I'm watching Joel Embiid and James Harden and I'm just going, these guys love the excuses. Joel Embiid goes to the podium and starts immediately talking about how he can't do it himself. And they're a number one, you know, bitch about the refs team too. They're right there with the Raptors. It's probably why Joel Embiid crystallized Nick Nurse in his mind when it came to the way that he complains about the officials because Embiid does the same thing. But an organization that really tore it down and had the quote-unquote process, Leafs only had one season of horrific losing where they really tried to bottom out, but they were bad for a long time. And then when the guys got here, they were just very much celebrated immediately without having won anything. And that was Joel Embiid, and that was the process, and that was the Sixers. They were just so happy to have a winning product back. Good regular season team, same thing again this year. Joel Embiid wins an MVP this year, much like Matthews does a season ago. But when all the chips are down, you don't have a lot of faith in them. You don't have a strong belief that they're going to be able to unlock something else. And if they do, that it's not going to be done consistently. And both organizations actually feel like they're in a similar spot where they've got the, the trendy GM. Both coaches definitely are very likely to leave. And then some star players around them where you go, you probably you have to break up this core, but how exactly do you do this, especially given one of them for the Sixers is a free agent? And with the Leafs, Let's be real here. Matthews is essentially a free agent right now because you have to know what the contract negotiation is. But when it comes to sort of just the ownership of this franchise, the frustrating thing, one of them to me anyways, has always been that, as I mentioned before, and I think one of my biggest criticisms of Austin Matthews and of Mitch Marner is it's never really felt like their team. Like it feels like their team, when we come to discussing them, we go the core four, we celebrate those guys. And I know media obligations aren't the biggest deal, right? Like, who cares? I know so many of you are listening to this. are going, Bunk, this is your thing. You care about media stuff. You're the one that loves to read in between the lines of what this means and what that means. But I think that they extend there in both areas. Feels like Matthews has to score the big goal and Martin are like, we're focused on those four guys together. But even why are we focused on those four guys together? As, as good as Nylander was this year, brilliant player for them for a large portion of the season. As much as he is very much on their plane, it's supposed to be about Matthews and Marner. That's the core, quote unquote. That's always been the core. And yeah, John Tavares is 33 years old and the captain and not the player he once was. It's about these two guys and them kind of grabbing the team. And this, it's always been sort of nebulous as to who the leaders are. 
Like, why are we, we always do, was it John Tavares is the captain, but not really because he doesn't really have the personality for it. And he's the lead by example guy, but sometimes you'd be kind of corny. Is Morgan Riley sort of the captain of this team? Was Matthews supposed to be the captain? Who is the actual leader of this group? And especially considering that year after year after year, they brought in vets. And it made sense. And I know I make the jokes about the Sharks guys coming here. But ultimately, yeah, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, who's really going to say no to players of that ilk, Hall of Famers, especially when they became available and you could get them under contract even if the Marlowe one was a year too long. And the Thornton one mm, probably did have some deleterious effects on their attitudes. But either way, it's always been this Jason Spezza is the heart of this team or Mark Giordano, the shop block guy. He's just so important to this team or Jake Muzzin is the heartbeat of this team, right? Muzzin normally you kind of miss him on media clear out day. I like how I got all the beats down on media clear out day, but you kind of miss Jake Muzzin because he was one of those real honest guys who wore his heart on his sleeve guy who'd actually won guy who was brought in here to really perform big and could never stay healthy in the playoffs. And you could see it. And he just spoke honestly and very fearlessly at these times. But those guys, when they step up to the podium, they normally have stuff to say. And Matthews and Mars always seem so dismissive of everything. Like, it's always, well, we tried. What do you want us to do? Like, we were out there trying. We were getting shots. Marner even. We've all got years left on our contract. Like, okay, man. Sure. But they're also shorter years. You could have had more years on your contract. No one told you to sign for six. You're from here. Okay, great. You wanted to have leverage? Awesome. But now this core feels weird. Anyway, it's just this, like, the babysitter stuff. Why does this group need to have babysitters? You got it at some point. It starts to get weird, right? Kid needs a babysitter when it's a baby. When you start, what, what's the age? Like 12? Like your kid is 12 and you can't leave them at home for a couple of hours by themselves. It starts to feel strange. That's the Leafs with these babysitters. Like, okay. It's nice to have vets in the room for sure, but Ryan O'Reilly's supposed to be the nastiest. You're going to graft Ryan O'Reilly onto this group and he's sort of the voice you want to hear from. Okay. All of a sudden he's the guy they're going to at the podiums all the time. That to me has always been strange. It's always been odd and it, it's really hard to quantify. And no, not every single best player on a team is also the vocal leader of the team, but you'd like to feel like there's some ownership somewhere from those guys, and you never really feel that. And then here today, on a very difficult day, right? As strange things are happening, and as guys are laid, and those the Leafs are discombobulated and trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do, what they're going to say, getting their ducks all in a row, they trot out the players. And they've got to decide who goes first. Who will speak to the media first? And I don't know if it's a tactic when it comes to almost softening this coverage, because who's going to absolutely paste the, how old's Gio? 39? The 39 year old veteran who played here on one of the team friendliest contracts in the NHL, who desperately wanted to play. And despite kind of aging pretty rapidly come postseason time, gave it his all. Shop block leader, heart and soul guy, Toronto native, who genuinely wanted to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Essentially, the, the, the torchbearer from Spezza, the veteran who cares and who really was desperate to play and was closing out their career here and willing to do it on the cheap. What was Spezza's quote? If I could have played here for cheaper, I would have. That's Gio. 
So when all the things are tough, and when there's got to be that ownership, and again, maybe media strategy, the guy they send out first to speak is Mark Giordano. So here he is. Mark, as you reflected on the season the last couple of days, and what do you feel is the difference in that series against Florida? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, th- I thought in the first series we uh, we didn't we, we didn't make uh, you know the big mistakes. I think at, at times in the second round we we sort of did things that uh, obviously at big moments that gave them you know leads and stuff like that. And um, yeah, looking back, I think that was the biggest difference. Every game was pretty much a one-goal game throughout the series, and uh, we just we just had some some mistakes that cost us. Were you dealing with an injury toward the end there, Mark? No, I wasn't, no. What do you think about the, uh, the core of this group going forward into next year? Well, I think, uh, obviously, uh, there's so many great players here. And, um, you know, you look, you look around the league, and I don't, I don't see too many teams with, uh, you know, the same sort of impact players we have uh, in our core. And, um, there's a reason why uh, our team, the last few years or the last bunch of years, you, you have those great uh, seasons and put up those points. Um, so we we believe in obviously those guys here. They're they're all great uh, players and and uh, are unique in their own uh, in their own way. How are you feeling personally? You made some sacrifices to stay here. Yeah, no, I mean I mean for me it's uh, sort of uh, a bitter day. I think. It's all about playoffs and having success in playoffs for me getting older and uh, didn't have that success that I wanted, uh, obviously as an individual, but also with our team. So um, today's always a a tough day. Um, Sucks to go through it, but, uh, you know, hopefully uh, getting to the second round is is some uh, we can build on and and go way further next year. All right, so there's Mark Giordano. Again, I have no idea whether PR is telling that to wrap up so quick or whether the media just went, um, yeah, we're not doing this to this guy. Do you guys know which it was? Could you see it in the live stream? Like, was it media saying last one? So the media guys just let him go. Classy. People say media in the city is too hard. Did that sound too hard? I know I, people, people think I'm weirdly defensive about that because I'm in the media. Do you think I'm like in the media? You think other media guys look at me and they say, oh, Bunkus. Yeah, he's a real media member. He's with us. Um, that was hard to listen to. <laughs> he's so sad. I don't know. Dude, maybe what they're doing while they got these guys ready was having an acting coach in the in the dressing room tell these guys how to sound like their dogs just died. All right, hit them with exasperation, low tone, humility. I'm actually curious to hear Marner Matthews, especially because Neil is just cool. Whatever, he's not going to. I'd be shocked if he was just completely, you know, different than what we've seen in the past. He's like, yeah, I'm going to Sweden. I know I'm a good player, and I don't really care. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. You guys know what you're getting with me. Tavares, you know what you're getting. Oh, we want to 
be better. Yeah, okay. But in the past, Matthews and Marner have been really defensive. Really defensive. If you remember after the Montreal one, actually part of what pissed people off so much was the way that Mitch Marner handled his media exits. I, I know you think I'm blown out of proportion, some of you. No, I am not. He came off like a spoiled brat in those media conferences. He has definitely matured as a player and as a guy. But I'm very curious to see how they hit the tone of this today. Ah, just me. I don't care what you guys think. If you don't care, I care about this. I want to see how they've evolved in that regard. But they sent out Gio first. He sounds sad, but he's right. So there's a couple things that I think are noteworthy from that quickly. One, I already mentioned they sent him out first. Two, it seems to have a bit of a softening effect where those guys come out and the media members are not hard hitting Mark Giordano. They're basically making him a sympathetic figure. Were you hurt? Guy's a warrior. He's not going to admit to that. And he says no. Which kind of sucks because, yeah, maybe he was just old. Possible. I'm going to reach a little bit on these next two. One is, talks about sacrificing and how how does he feel that right now, given that he did make those financial commitments. But he's older. He's trying to win. He wanted to win home. He wasn't able to get that done. You can hear that disappointment. But the core stuff, hmm, that wasn't the most ferocious defense. Maybe one of the other vets will come to their, you know, will come save them. Will come really deliver a passionate speech about those guys, that core four, those players. His was like, yeah, these guys are really talented. We got a really talented group. That was it. Yeah, they're good. They're fine. I don't know what I'm supposed to say about that. Like, uh, I'm just, that's my interpretation as we're hearing that live. Wasn't an impassioned defense of those four players. But yeah, why are you sending them out? Smart strategy. All right. Going to take a quick break because I have to use the washroom. And then we're going to come back and we're going to roll more of those player audios. Quick break. We'll be right back. It must be nice. No show in the playoffs and then no show on media day. When do you have to show up? That's the other thing too is about some of this leaf stuff is when people are like, oh yeah, don't worry. You don't need to run back. You should run back to core. They're still learning. They're still growing. They're still taking steps. Like how many years do you have to underachieve at something before you should be held accountable, right? Like I actually understand the case again more so for Dubas returning because you need him to learn on the job to a certain degree. If you, if you want something different, they tried something different. So far it's been a failure. He has failed massively. Kyle Dubas has not been a successful general manager. He's got one playoff win in five seasons. And frankly, you can point to a lot of mistakes, but I do think he's gotten better and I do think he has evolved. And we've outlined the case today as to why you could consider bringing him back. And he is supposed to speak today. And so you would think that that does indicate that they are leaning towards a contract extension. Like, why would you run, why would you run him out there if he's not going to be here in a week, if he's coming out there, you got to think that negotiations are, I don't know, positive, that they're negotiating in good faith and that there's a pretty reasonable chance that Kyle Dubas will be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs next season. And like what, what other jobs he has, we'll see, but how enticing is Pittsburgh? Like, okay, cool. You can go to Pittsburgh and you can have more power. And you're there to mop up a bunch of really tough contracts and then move into a teardown and you have to be the guy that 
basically closes out the Sidney Crosby era there. That doesn't sound so appealing. What are the other jobs? Is all we've heard is Pittsburgh so far. How much leverage is that actually? And you got to think that for someone like him, whose reputation in the city is completely tied to this era of failure, that if he has some real strong belief in himself, that he's going to want to see this through. And that, yeah, if he is an evolving general manager, that he's going to... He's going to want to prove that he can continue to change. So weird. I, I didn't see this, but yeah, Luke Fox did tweet that Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe are both speaking later today, but Shanahan is not. I don't know what to read into that. Like, <laughs> are both those guys going out together? Like, why are you bringing Sheldon Keefe up? Satisfying for the fans that want to hear from him, obviously. Like, I want to hear from him. I, I want to know what his perspective was with some clarity and after some downtime and whatever. But, like, how could it even be on the table that he'll be the coach next year? How could that even be a thought at this point? And so what, you're going to have him sit next to the front office and basically field those questions is very odd. Like it just, I keep, I know I keep saying that <laughs> I, I'm probably pissing some people off that are listening to this going, dude, stop saying it's weird. Stop saying it's strange, but it is, it's very weird and strange. I've done a lot of these things. Now I'm an industry vet, been around for a decade, believe it or not. And in 10 years, this is the, mm, the Babcock one was weird. The Babcock one was definitely strange because Keith was in the building and everybody knew that Dubas could not wait and that the two of them definitely, I think that it's a little overstated in terms of how frosty the relationship was, especially at certain points. But yeah, once it got to there, it started to get a little bit more adversarial and I think even publicly so. But uh, I would say that since, since Masai Ujiri had to go up after yet that, uh, that next Raptors disappointment the year before Kawhi, right? When they just got embarrassed. And it was just, okay, all the optimism and happiness and fun times is done. But what did they do with Dwayne Casey that year? I can't remember if they trotted him up to a podium, if he actually spoke at the end of a season. Because the weird one, all I remember with that was that he got named Coach of the Year, and then he was celebrated at the NBA Awards. And remember, he was kind of salty, rightfully so. I love that he was. What was he supposed to do? Well, thank you, Raptors, for everything. No, he fired me. Fire me, I'm going to be a jerk about it. And to a jerk to a degree. But it would be very, very odd to have Sheldon Keefe up here today, field these questions with Dubas, and still have the potential for both of those guys to not be here. What? The next day? Two days? Where's Shanahan? People always hammer me, and it's always DM guys, actually. People always love, like, they think it's like a really, no offense to those of you that reach out, okay? No offense. I love all of you. You know I love the listeners of the show, and I love it when you reach out in the DMs, and I, I try my very damnedest to reply to people and give some engagement. Some of you abuse the hell out of it. You just message nonstop, and I go, what do you expect now? It's gone. Once I start getting the paragraphs consecutive, it's over. <laughs> this warning sign. Maybe one time. Maybe if it's good. Maybe if I'm bored. Maybe if I'm stuck waiting somewhere. But ultimately, I always get this take from the DM bros. 
is why doesn't Shanahan get more of the blah, blah, blah? Where is Shanahan for all this? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, yeah, it would be kind of weird if the president was speaking on hockey-related issues in the middle of the season, like... And yeah, that it kind of goes without saying that this is why you have layers to an organization is some people are there to shield you from the next thing, right? Sheldon Keefe, your coach is supposed to shield the GM. The GM shields the, the president. The president shields the ownership group. Like, that's the way this thing goes. So I, I don't know why it's been such a, like, guys always, like I said, they make it seem like this real astute observation. Like, you know who's out there working? Brendan Shanahan. What? And is he the puppet master pulling the strings? And what is his culpability in all of this? And should he be fired? And you go, yes, we're aware Brendan Shanahan is also a part of the organization. I actually, you know, we'll always look at this as the we can and we will era being a failure, but really the Shanahan, the Shanna plan is that's, that's what really the death of this is. It's the death of both tied into one another because the Shanna plan became the we can and we will giving Kyle Dubas the car keys and letting him learn on the job and not having it work out and failing to see that these guys were not going to be able to, to crack that next ceiling. Again, I don't even fault them after Montreal. It would have been really reactionary. You can make the case for it, but after last year against Tampa, it really did look like they were going to take a step, and then during the regular season, they really gave the Leafs a lot of reason for that front office to believe, you know what, we're going to push a lot of chips into the middle, we're going to mortgage some future assets, and we're going to get some right playoff pieces around you. Uh, no one was really disagreeing with that. Some of you didn't like the Engvall trade, whatever. I don't think the Leafs would have won without Engvall, or sorry, with Engvall. And I don't think that any of the trades that they made, other than McCabe, kind of, that's the one, hurt them. Because they really tried to bank on Jake McCabe being a shutdown pair guy. And by the end of it, he was relegated pretty far down the lineup. He had one game, an elimination game, where he only played 12 minutes. That's a really, really tough look. I know he's under contract next year for only $2 bucks, So that makes that one more palatable. And he was fine during the regular season, but he definitely looked like a dude who was overwhelmed in the postseason. And, and that role was too big for him. He didn't have that experience there. It was, it, Jake McCabe was not the guy. He was not Jake Muzzin replacement. And really, they've just always struggled to kind of find that piece because either Muzzin's been hurt or looked too old, or then they had to kind of go on the cheap with Jake McCabe. So anyway, he doesn't work out. But for the most part, good deadline. Understand why they did it. <sighs> Even as someone who wanted to change, don't think that there was a real, real, real strong case looking back that they should have done things too differently. Unless you find out one day that there was a massive offer for Marner, Nealand, or some, somebody, right, that would have actually made sense. But I don't think that that would have been there. I don't know if this team would have been appreciably better, right? Although we are watching Jack Eichel be pretty nasty right now. And there was a time where we had the Eichel for Marner thing, and a lot of people shot that down, but I can tell you right now, I would much rather have had Jack Eichel in these playoffs than Mitch Marner. So maybe that one, but I'm not sure that was ever even a real thing. The quote-unquote real things that I've heard involving any type of whisper offer that was ever made for any of those guys have always been extremely underwhelming to the point where I'm like, that cannot be real. I refuse to actually believe that there's any truth to this. And that's why I've never brought any of them to the radio. Never a single one of those to the microphone. Fairly so, because again, very, very fake. Oh, sorry, not fake. Uh, very, very underwhelming. But now we know. Now we know we're shaking it up. And if you know that, Shanahan has spoken at these things every single season. 
He's usually right beside these two guys. So again, in the weird day of the word of the day that I keep using, let's switch it up to interesting that this guy is not there. He should be more public facing. He was the guy that brought up Killer Instinct. He's the easiest guy to go, hey, Brennan, um, you geared these last two years towards Killer Instinct. And yeah, your team finally got one playoff series, but then really kind of no-showed in the next round. So what do you make of that? What is that to you? Did you find it? Do you think you've taken a step forward? What exactly has happened here? Maybe they can't have him here because he's going to be the one that's speaking to these guys' job securities directly. And they're going to have Dubas and Keefe go out there and have them field all these questions on their own? Huh. I'm just trying to do my best guesswork here. Because everybody I keep texting, they seem to be doing the exact same. Cone of silence. Cone of silence around the Maple Leafs organization. Still waiting to hear from another player. Mark Giordano and then 30 minutes apart between the guys. This is good stuff. All right, quick break. We'll be back. It's actually kind of strange that we ended up in a spot where it sort of feels like this impending end of an era for the Toronto Raptors. Like they fired their championship winning head coach. But at least it does feel like they're going to do some tweaking around the fringes. And it's like they could end up making a big move, right? The Raptors could end up doing something huge. Who knows? Maybe the Leafs end up doing something fairly similar. Maybe the Leafs end up firing their coach. They keep their GM. They keep their president. Much like the Raptors. And then they go into an offseason, same way as the Raps, where fans are a little bit, uh, they're a little tired, I would say, of the product. Like, I think people enjoy, even for the, the roll it over people, right? Like, even if you want the Leafs to just bring everybody back, let's just say, hey, don't trade anybody because you'll make the bad deal and these guys have shown progress and you believe in them and they're still young and blah, 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 right? And you, that, that, that crowd, even if you believe that. Oh my God, could you imagine next year's regular season? Could you imagine another year of this where so many games, I guess the more interesting thing would be the division. You'd be trying to sell yourself on. Like the Bruins... Won't be the greatest team a regular season has ever assembled. So maybe you got more of a shot to win the division. Imagine caring about that. Imagine trying to put any stock into home ice. Like, boy, they got a battle for home ice. They got to really bear down these last couple of weeks of the season because home ice advantage could be on the line. Toronto Maple Leafs won one playoff game at home this year. They dogged it in front of their home crowd multiple times. Like, uh, what's the revenue those guys took in for playoff tickets this year? For their granted limited amount of home games, right? Didn't get enough. Didn't get uh, as many as you thought you would. Got three in round one. Pretty disappointing. Three in round two. Pretty disappointing. Six playoff games at home. You got 
one W. A lot of money for that one W from those fans. Think about all the jerseys, all the beers, all the ticket prices. Pretty nice deal for the Leafs. Pretty good coin for them to pull in for one win for those fans at home. But yeah, imagine that. Imagine trying to sell people on the idea that the regular season matters in this sport anymore. Like, in any way. What, what, what's the narrative? Matthew Nyes? Like, his development as a player? He's the difference maker? He was good. I think he's going to be a really good player. Like Matthew Nyes a lot, seems like they hit on somebody. Really going to do a full season of... What is he? What's the blue line next year? Got a few guys tied up. It's like, seems like there's more certainty there than in some other spots. That was actually one of the stories, I think, that got a little bit overlooked in this whole run. And when we're talking about, hey, break up the core four and make a trade, you would think that based on what you saw in this postseason, you'd love for Luke Shen to return, but he's an older player, and so the prospect of him doing the Mark Giordano thing where you lean on him during the regular season and at the end of the year he kind of goes away, that that happens. Also, lost in Luke Shen thing, load management, work for him. I don't know how many games he ended up playing. I don't have that right in front of me. But, you know, he had his kid. He first came to Toronto. He'd been sitting out a little while for Vancouver. He didn't have to grind through a regular season the way that Gio did, and he looked a little fresher. Maybe that'll be a byproduct of some of these vets that they move in here next year is that they don't play him into the ground. They ask them to do that a little bit more. But ultimately, it's like... The blue line wasn't good enough. So if you are going to trade a core four guy, are we just back to that? Are we just back to... You need to bring in someone that can play 20 minutes a night. I don't know if you need someone to play with Morgan Riley. I think that that's a nice little piece that you got. You feel good about having the stay-at-home guy with Morgan Riley and then someone else that can really eat those heavy minutes. Maybe someone that can play with TJ Brody that's better than McCabe and then McCabe drops down since he's only a $2 million guy anyway next season that he is viewed as more of an elite third-pairing guy and you can spread it around, move him around, be more experimental during a regular season. Maybe, maybe just maybe unlock a little bit more. Not sure he's Jake Muzzin though. And I'm being prime Jake Muzzin. But I would think that the blue line needs to be tinkered with. They would need to make sure that that's a little bit better. They sh- shouldn't the blue line have felt better? I, I don't know. The core four is the entire focus of basically our entire offseason. It was, well, now Dubas is that. But they were the main target, as they should be, of this team's failure. Because this whole thing was predicated on those guys. But ultimately... You've got your whole blue line that can come back next year. Like, you could probably re-sign Luke Shen. Maybe, maybe not. And I would assume Justin Hall is gone. So you're going to need to add a little bit of right D. But Morgan Riley obviously not going anywhere. TJ Brody obviously not going anywhere. Timothy Lilligren, kind of an interesting one, but for his price point, you'd have a tough time figuring that he gets moved. Jake McCabe, not going anywhere. Two million bucks for two more seasons. As much as he disappointed... It's funny, he disappointed in the postseason. He really wasn't the guy that Dubas had hoped that he was acquiring. 
in the shutdown pairing with Brody. But, man, he's under contract for $2 million bucks for the next two seasons. Hard to be overly upset about that trade. Even given that it didn't work out for this year, the all-in season. Because, yeah, I think we all agree that Jake McCabe on a $2 million deal is a pretty sweet price. I like how when I open up Cap Friendly, it shows my face because it starts playing Leafstock. Thank you for that, Cap Friendly. Mark Giordano is back. But at this point, you, it's hard to envision him playing the same role that he did this year, right? Feels more like a potential Wayne Simmons situation. I wonder, no, nah, it's hard to envision him retiring. Guy still had some juice left in the tank. He was just burnt out, beat up. They gave Connor Timmons that extension, that weird $1 million deal. Like, how weird is it they decide to pay Connor Timmons, someone that no one even thought could get a sniff of the postseason? They gave him that million dollars, uh, over a million dollars. When Mark Giordano was taking 800 grand. No different points of their career, but that was an odd one. That was just like, hey, here, here you go, Sault Ste. Marie guy. Here's some money. The goaltending, I think, is pretty easy to predict. Hard to envision a scenario where it's not just going to be Samsonov wall, right? Samsonov performed admirably in the first series. And Wool is now under contract for less than 800000 a season and showed you at least something. Matt Murray, big question mark of the offseason. How do you get off that four and a half million bucks? What's that going to cost you? Is that going to cost you that first round pick that you got back that's Boston's? I would imagine it's not going to be cheap trying to get off that. And I've made this point to people before, but I, I just I have a tough time seeing the Leafs buying out that deal, even though it doesn't look that bad. It's just when you're a capped out team and you're trying to win Stanley Cups. Like, having dead money on the books is not exactly a great strategy. You'd almost rather give up an asset. But maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they end up doing that, and then a year from now, a season from now, we end up with something where, yeah, they're just eating that $2 bucks, and they say to hell with it. Who knows where they're even going to be at, I guess. Maybe Austin Matthews isn't here. Maybe the core four is completely blown up, and they just look at it and say, yeah, we're out. <laughs> Shocking to think that the... It's, I don't think they will be. I'm just saying this, but just for a fun thought exercise, it's like it's not outside the realm of possibility these guys are in a rebuild in a year from now, which is nuts. Like the Matthews domino has such huge wide-reaching implications because if he wants out and or if he's not willing to resign, once again, everything is on the table. And you go, oh, yeah, all right. Their cycle was seven seasons. These guys were supposed to be with you through their early 30s, at least you would have thought. And then maybe not because a bunch of these guys are pending free agents. Maybe that isn't the case. Hard to envision a rebuild though when you don't really have any assets. Like when you've got so many first round picks that are out the door. It's not even just first round picks, multiple picks from multiple different spots. Like, yeah, they don't have a lot of guys that are going to be coming up and helping them next season. It's going to be Matthew Nice. But yeah, look at the unrestricted free agents for this year though too. Kerfoot, goner. No shot. Cannot see a scenario where he's back. O'Reilly, Kampf, and Achari. You'd really, really, really like to see some of those guys back. But Ryan O'Reilly's 32 years old. It doesn't appear that he is overly interested in taking a hometown discount. There is the potential for him to return to St. Louis where he won and was very happy. And also, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're staring down a aging John Tavares who 
is the same age and didn't look very good down the middle throughout stretches of the postseason, was aging on the job. Do you really want to double down on the decision to pay an older vet whose best years are likely behind them, even if he is a different kind of leader player skill set than Tavares? Feels a little redundant. And and there were times, too, I will say, throughout the playoffs, Ryan Riley seemed like he was gutting it out. I'm curious to hear what he has to say today, actually, in terms of what his injury was, because he was... Oh, he's speaking right now? Oh, that's nice. Um, because I think that he may have been dealing with something pretty significant to his foot or to an ankle. But they were slow at times. Like, they, the Leafs looked slow in that Florida series, right? And a lot of that had to do with Tavares and Ryan O'Reilly. Love Ryan O'Reilly, won't be upset if they bring him back, but it doesn't make a ton of sense. Not right now, especially if you're shifting gears. Unless he comes back on an extremely friendly deal that isn't too long, but why would he do that? He's a really good player. He's a commodity. It's not a loaded free agent class, right? This is actually something that's working against Toronto here. Dubas has been pretty decent at finding those flyer guys, right? Yarncroc was a miss, gave him four seasons. Nah, not it. He's not a crippling salary, though, so it's not too bad. But, yeah, he deserves credit for, like, the Michael Bunting fines and Aston Reese didn't play in the postseason for them, but for less than a million bucks, he was serviceable for a lot of the season. David Camp was a great find for Toronto. When he first came here, there weren't a lot of people that were looking at that going, hmm, this makes a ton of sense. This guy's really good. He was a diamond in the rough for them. But, man, a guy like David Camp could end up getting paid. Go look at the list of best free agents that are out there this offseason. You will see the Toronto Maple Leafs with multiple names on that list. I'm not sure how many guys are going to be able to bring back from this group. Like, I don't know who's going to sign a reasonable contract. Like, Bunting is going to want to get paid. He feels like a complete sayonara gone guy. Barring a miracle hometown discount and some negotiation that doesn't feel like it's been there all along. He feels like the classic own rental type that they've had year over year. Yeah, Sheldon Keith being gone probably changes the math for him, if that is the case, because it was pretty clear that those two didn't get along. But Bunting, to me, seems exactly like the guy you cannot pay. Career, couple of years, playing with awesome guys who never drove his own line and also disappeared many times. How many Bunting had some good games. He had some good shifts. When he came back from the suspension, he looked like he had fresh legs. But there was never a moment where I was going, man, get Bunting looks amazing out here. He's so good consistently. Those last couple of games, he was a complete ghost. When they moved him down the lineup, they decided to bump Yarncroc up there. Yeah, didn't really notice. Didn't really notice that he was around when he was on the third line. Scored one big goal. So I think Bunting's gone for sure. And then I think those other three guys, Achari, Camp, and, o- and Ryan O'Reilly, it's just going to be really tough to get them under contract. And then Alex Kerfoot, I just I don't think you can bring him back. It's just been too much. Uh, there's some guys where you almost say, hey, go somewhere else just so that you can have a fresh start and not be uh, a whipping boy. And for Toronto, just I, I think they had him around for enough runs that they know who he is and what he, what he provides, and it's not enough for this team. Out of all those guys, if I had to power rank who I think is most likely returns, probably Kampf, followed closely by Achari. But it feels like they're going to try to keep one of those two guys around. Either way, going to be a diamond in the rough offseason. Big-time diamond in the rough offseason for this team. Nothing really coming up the pipeline unless you really think Pontus Holmberg next season is going to take a big step at age, what, 27? So he's like a 26-year-old rookie this year. Like, what, Nick Robertson? You're still going to sell yourself on that? They're going to have to find some centermen here pretty quick. So what do we agree on here? 
This team probably needs more depth. They're going to have to figure out how to spread the money around a bit more. They probably need another really good player on their blue line. And they've still got to give their goalies a slight upgrade or at least move off the Morgan Riley thing. That still reeks of one of these core players ends up having to go. That still absolutely reeks of, yeah, I'm sorry. This is a part of it. You can't move Tavares. You wish you could. You desperately wish. Maybe you have that conversation. I don't know what that looks like, but what's the odds that he entertains that at all? They wouldn't do it with Muzzin a year ago. Everyone thought that they would. They wouldn't do it with him. So what are the odds that they're going to do with their captain? And yeah, stripping over the sea, it's embarrassing for him. And you're trying to set a different cultural tone, I guess. But still, ultimately, what does that really do for you? Still feels like Marner. Still feels like the $11 million owed to Marner. Most valuable guy, under contract for a while. Hasn't performed in the playoffs. Has a lot of pressure on his shoulders, a lot of stress on his shoulders. Might need a fresh start. You could convince some other GMs of that. You're still getting some term. You don't have to negotiate with him immediately. And he carries a ton of value around the league, so you could actually bring in some real valuable good players. He just seems like the most obvious one to me. Again, problem is, Matthews wants to play with him, and he still holds the cards. All right, quick break. We'll come back, and we'll hear from Ryan O'Reilly. Anyway, Ryan O'Reilly spoke. I'm going to play that in a second. And then Tavares is on the podium here now. So Leafs have finally decided to uh, show up. But very much like them, not on time. Here is Ryan O'Reilly. So Ryan, uh, what was your takeaway as you reflected on this series? What, what did you see the difference? Uh, yeah, obviously it's very disappointing. Um, you know, to get beat five games like that is, you know, nothing what we wanted. And, um, yeah, we just, you know, we didn't start. That series the way we needed to, and established you know that physicality and that playoff style. Just kind of tiptoed into it and came back to bite us. Um, obviously, first game was great. Game two, you know, we threw everything at them. Don't get that win. Kind of dug ourselves a hole, and it was tough to get out of. But you know, no one in this locker room is happy. Um, you know, we knew you know had more for myself. I wish you know played better those times. I don't think I created enough out there. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it's disappointing though. Ryan, you had some big decisions to make for yourself this summer. How much did you like it here? I'm sure the, the fans would love it if you were back. Would you consider um, any offers here to stay? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something, um, you know, I'm still, you know, reflecting on the loss and, you know, this coming forward here, I have a lot to think about going, you know, what I plan to do. But, um, you know, this this organization is, is incredible. The um, Obviously, you guys see, you see, you know, the players that they have and, and such, but the, the people in the organization, you know, every – facet that's looked after the you know, strength team the nutrition um you know everyone the the staff is just incredible and the best of what they do and such an amazing place that um i'm so thankful i was you know able to brought into it obviously you know sorry couldn't get the result that we wanted but um you know just to be a part of this organization was an amazing thing and um yeah we've got to uh, you know have some decisions to make going forward though what is your biggest priority in free agency um Gosh, I, I honestly, you know, still, still reflecting on, you know, the season and, and such right now, and and the last series and such that, um, you know, I haven't given it much thought, um, you know. But uh, you know, once I turn the page here, hopefully in a couple of weeks, that's when I kind of start getting that that mindset. But uh, as for right now, I haven't given too much thought yet. Where were you physically, uh, Ryan? Like, at the end, I know everyone's got bumps and bruises, but like, where were you physically by the end of the playoff? Um, <clears throat> I think like most guys, yeah, I'm just you know, exhausted from the competitiveness and such. But uh, body-wise, I was fine. You know, finger was great, and and no, um, yeah, no big injuries I was dealing with. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, it's nothing bad. 
And you came in with a fresh set of eyes. From your perspective, uh, coming in, being around the core that's been assembled here, uh, what's your perspective on what they'll be able to accomplish? Oh, you can tell it's you know, the core group here. They're close, you know, we're very close. And the pieces that are in here, the way they, they lead and, and such, um, from an outsider coming into it, wasn't sure what to expect, but I uh, was just so impressed. So impressed by it. Um, it's a very tight group that, that works and they want to win. And um, it's extremely difficult to win in this league. And, and especially, too, with the pressure of this city and the, the people of it, it's, it's not an easy thing by any means. But, you know, this, this group is very close and, you know, we'll, we'll have success for sure. Did it surprise you, Ryan, the, the, the pressure? Like, you'd never seen it up close like this? Um, yeah, um, not, I guess not surprised, but you kind of, you know, you don't really know it until you're kind of in, in it to really see it. But, um, you know, it's part of it, uh, you know, it's part of it. It's part of it yeah. why it makes this, you know, this mega mecca of hockey and the way people care. And, uh, you know, when do win, it's going to be something that uh, will be that much more special. Ryan, where do you think the offense went? Um, yeah, it's tough to say. You know, you reflect on it. You see, I know for myself, too, I, you know, didn't create enough with the puck and and you know at times a little too you know timid I think with the way of attacking and as a group um, you know I think those first couple games weren't hard enough on on Bob there that um, you know kind of gave him confidence and got him feeling it and so I think you know we look back at it reflect on it you know would have been nice to establish a little bit you know tougher game for him early and I think that would have helped us in the series but it's a lot of what ifs but um, yeah it's still just that's nah, disappointing. Kachuk suggested that maybe their physical play wore you guys down a bit as the series progressed. Do you feel that of, at all? Um, yeah, I think for sure they, you know, they were more physical than us, and I think they kind of grabbed control of the series that way. Which, you know, we needed to respond a little bit better than we did with it. Um, but yeah, that was definitely, uh, I think, a factor for them that helped them beat us. Whatever happens, what did it mean to you to have this run in Toronto at home? Um, yeah, it's. <sighs> It's been so amazing. Just like I said, with the organization, my family, growing up, and the support that I've had from everyone, um, you know, I just can't thank people enough and the organization for bringing me in to, to have a run like this and be a part of this group. Um, yeah, something I'll. Oh, that clip just cut off early? Nice. All right, Ryan O'Reilly. Hear from John Tavares in a couple of minutes, but I, I have some thoughts on that. One, no injury. I don't know if he's saying that because he's a pending free agent. He doesn't want to make excuses. He's worried about how it'll come off. He's not, you know, he's hurt, not injured. But I, I don't really know how to interpret that. Cause he definitely looks slower than normal. And we got reports from credible people that he was limping around the dressing room between games. So I'm going to lean with, it wasn't something broken. And so the guy doesn't want to complain or make an excuse. And so he's just going to eat it. Plus he probably, he's going to have to give medicals or whatever to anybody that he ends up signing with. And so who cares? Go out like a warrior. Go out like a winner. I like the way that he spoke today. I'm going to be saying if, whether I liked it or not with some of these guys. I'm definitely judging here today. This is judgy day. I'll be judgy bunk. I like the way Ryan O'Reilly speaks. I just like the way he carries himself. The guy is obviously a guy. Like, 
And I mean that in the terms that Justin Bourne and I like to use. Is, is somebody a guy? Yeah, that's a guy. Well-spoken, no excuses. And then I actually thought some fairly insightful answers in terms of a couple of those questions. One was they were more physical than us. And he said it. And I like that. I like that he just admitted to it. He went, oh, yeah, you know what? These guys were a tough team. They were physical. Probably wore down on us a little bit. They were the more physical team. Guess what? They were. And it's not exactly like that was the most physical hockey team we've ever seen in the Florida Panthers. But go, if you have time, go back and watch how different those teams looked when they would forecheck. How much one team loved to put a body on somebody, especially their stars, versus the other team. Two. Should have been tougher series on Bob. Completely agree. Bourne made this point every single Leafs talk. Not enough second chances. Didn't go to hard areas of the ice. And that was absolutely a thing that is a huge theme for me in this thing. There should have been a hundred percent. Did Bobrovsky play well? Yes. Should Toronto have adjusted and changed their strategy to a certain degree to make sure that they ended up with more quality chances, more traffic in front of the net, more high danger opportunities, not the same wristers from the outside on him. Absolutely. So good for Ryan O'Reilly for saying those things. Honestly, I know it's kind of easy to do, but it wasn't just a bunch of excuses. Anyways, Ryan O'Reilly might come back, might not. He's obviously interested in here, but yeah, that's a pretty stock answer when it comes to free agency stuff. And it was pretty clear that we weren't going to get that. Anyways, a guy that is almost certainly going to be here next year is John Tavares. The captain spoke third. We'll hear from him now. Yeah, I mean, obviously disappointing. We're not still playing and, um, you know, not, uh, you know, building off of, uh, you know, a big win, obviously for us uh, against Tampa and, and what that challenge presented and, uh, you know, getting to the next opportunity. But uh, obviously still a lot of growth in the group and a lot accomplished this year, um, you know, and obviously just continues uh, uh, to build the desire and the fire to, uh you know, get to the ultimate goal. There's a lot of questions, John. What do you think the future does hold for, for this group? Well, I mean, a lot of that is, you know, above me, but I, I think there's a continued belief, uh, uh, our group here, and, um, you know, I think the standard that we have and what we're trying to accomplish and continuing to push for more. Um, obviously, winning is extremely difficult. Um, you know, we're continuing to, to find our way through that and um, do what's necessary. Um, obviously win the Stanley Cup. How do you feel your own playoff one? Uh, I, I thought there was a lot of good things with my game. Um, obviously, uh, you know, got rewarded well in in, uh, in the first round and, and uh, you know, a little snake bit in the second round, but I still thought there were a lot of positives uh, with my game and how it was, uh, uh, you know, whether it was creating opportunities or just being good without the puck. Um, so, but uh, no doubt, always things to work on and things you want to be better at and, you know, you take responsibility, obviously playing the role that I play for the team uh, to be better and to do more. So, um, but, uh, you know, obviously uh, um, you, know, you reflect on that, use the time now to, to continue to uh, see where you can be better uh, through conversations today as well and, and get back to work. John, how much time, John, how much time do you take off before you get back on the ice and what sort of things do you work on over the summer? Well, that, that's... Uh, you know, it's kind of different year to year, uh, depending on how you're feeling health-wise. Um, you know, maybe other things going on um, at home as well. 
Um, but as traditionally, as traditionally as I've gotten older, um, you know, I've, I've gone on the back, got back on the ice quicker and quicker. Um, you know, you know what you're working on or kind of what the focus is is much different uh, when you start than you know, obviously once you get close to training camp and whatnot. But uh, uh, I don't anticipate taking uh, too much time off. Uh, obviously, get healthy and get uh, get feeling good back to baseline and, and ready to uh, uh, you know start my offseason program. Ah, uh, yes. These five days have gone by, seems rather quickly. Um, from the day that your downtown <clears throat> signing five years ago to now, uh, are you anywhere near where you thought you would be from when you first came here? Well, obviously, coming here, I, I you know, extremely strong belief as I still do in wanting to win the Stanley Cup and and uh, um, you know what uh, what's being built here and the foundation and. Um, you know, through the out the organization and obviously uh, the guys here in the locker room that we have. So that's still the same, that same belief. Um, to try to project or, or think you know what the way the journey is going to go and the challenges that you're going to have, you're never going to know. Um, so you just continue to, to take them uh, head on as best you can and learn from them and grow. Um, you know, obviously you'd love to win the Stanley Cup every single year. Um, but uh, uh, still extreme strong belief in, in our group here and getting to where we want to get to and continuing to, to grow and get better and, and challenge each other and, and find our way. John, 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 John you have a uh, way no movement clause that, uh, you, that you got signed here. Who knows what roster changes are coming. Um, player, uh, teams from time to time will approach guys with no moves and sort of feel them out. Um, what would be your response if that happened? Uh, I love it here. So um, obviously, I made a commitment here um, for you know for seven years to, to be a Leaf, and and uh, uh, you know I want to be here. So that's that's how I feel, and you know love being captain and, and take that responsibility um, you know very seriously, and uh, feel really fortunate, and uh, you know still think that there's a, a tremendous opportunity for our, our team here in the near future and, and in the long run. More next year, or do you still primarily see yourself as a center? You know, I'm I'm open to whatever. Um, I want to continue to evolve my game and continue to find ways to get better and adapt. And I think guys that play a long time, that's what they're able to do. They uh, they adapt their game with still making you know their strengths um, really consistent and strong, and still impact the game really well. So something I take a lot of pride in is being versatile. And uh, you know, when I signed here, I knew you know. As, as I get later in my contract um, and, and as I'm getting older, knowing that uh, those possibilities were there. And, and I really, at that time, looked at the big picture of things so, and uh, really uh, had the mindset of, of continuing to be versatile and understand that uh, I'm going to, you know, whether it does or it doesn't, um, you know, continue to uh, um, be ready for uh, that challenge or that opportunity. John, you guys probably thought you were going to play the Bruins in the second round. And from going from an underdog to a a big favorite. Was there anything to that, and maybe the team didn't take the Panthers as seriously? Ryan talked about dipping your toe into the into the second round. We definitely, uh, you know, didn't uh, you know overlook them or think that uh, take them as seriously. Um, you know, they just you know beat the, the best regular season team in in uh, league history, and and also how they did it, um, you know, was extremely impressive. You know, we, I, you know, I think the first few games we obviously kind of let them get away from us. Where, you know, we had plenty of opportunity to win those games. Um, you know, in control in, in game two, 
um, and obviously put us in, in a tough spot uh, heading to Florida. So I think it just shows the, the margins are so small um, and just how detailed you have to be and how well you have to execute uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs um, you know, to, to ultimately uh, be the last one standing. When you, see the, when you see the Bruins last out, question. Tampa out, you guys out, Edmonton out, the Rangers out, I think they would have been a lot of people's picks. One of those teams would have been a lot of people's picks to win the Stanley Cup. Does that tell you even more so how difficult it is to win the darn thing? I, I think through my experience and, and being in the league as long as I have been now, I think you know it's extremely hard. Um, and, and I, I, I mean, I think that's just evidence of it. You know, any any team that gets in can obviously has an opportunity to win. Um, and how, you know, how small the margins are, and how hard you have to work, and how disciplined you have to be, how well you have to execute to be on the right side of those over a two month period. Um, you know, even with, uh, you know, the things that you accomplish all year long, and how you build your game, and, and just how difficult that is. So, continues to be an evolution, and. Uh, uh, Obviously, use it as a as a learning experience again for our group to um, learn from it and get better from it. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you. All right, there's the captain for now. Um, a lot of people don't think that these media conferences are all that insightful. Scars are still fresh. Players don't really want to say too much. What do they actually want to say to the media in general? It can be dry. I get it. Um, I think that that is a case, though, where there was some important stuff in there. Tavares isn't exactly Mr. Forthcoming. Uh, he's obviously a pretty reserved fella. I think we've gotten used to that. Some of the answers there were pretty meh. Right? But what he envisioned when he saw here, obviously he was like a... But a couple interesting things from that one, too. Let's go through them. Three things. Number one is he's open to the wing. It's pretty clear. You know what, though? You better be. Because you slowed down, John. And you're not the John Tavares that first arrived in Toronto. It was probably unfair of us to expect that at this point in your career, given that you are, is he already 33 or is he about to be 33? He's about to be 33 years old. I love how these guys are old and he's younger than me. <laughs> Hurts. Doesn't feel so good. He's not old. He's fine. He'll bounce back. He should play down the middle. He's aged a little bit more rapidly than we thought he would. And let's just put it this way. Um, as much as he was doing the point again in, or point to game thing in the regular season, and he's a useful player. He's a good player. He's probably a little underappreciated in this market to a degree, to a degree because of the money and because he's the captain and because he doesn't seem to resonate with too many people. Um, he doesn't have the same force and same impact on the game night in night out that you'd love to see from a star player. The idea that he makes 11 million and is part of the, quote, core four, is pretty difficult to swallow. And frankly, if we're doing the game of what's going to be the hardest thing for this team over the next couple of years, barring a trade request or whatever the hell some of these guys have made, John Tavares on 11 million bucks, pretty tough. Pretty tough contract to navigate, especially, again, no move clause. 
And that leads into the second thing. Um, yeah, he better be willing to move to the wing because he wants to be here. And you're the captain. You have to be about sacrifice. You have to be about lead by example. That's actually his leadership style. Certainly not the vocal stuff. It's not the rah-rah guy. I'm not going to him if I need to get pumped up. I'm going to him if I need to see how to, you know, do a new lat workout. He'll show you. He's paying attention to the technique. But yeah, as the captain of this team, as the leader of this team, and as somebody who does it by example, he has to move out to the wing so that he shows other people that he's gotten a sacrifice and that he will willingly sacrifice. Uh, the problem is, is I don't know how much that resonates at this point in his career. Maybe, again, maybe the humbling of no captaincy and the move out to the wing does change things to a degree, but even still, it's harder and harder to swallow the $11 million when you're not even getting a guy who's down the middle. He'll still take draws, and I'm sure he'll play down the middle some parts of the year, but his season from now on is going to have to have that load management that we saw when Ryan O'Reilly was healthy, where he got kicked out of the wing or kicked out to the wing for portions of the regular season for a short portion, albeit, but he did look better out there and he was being centered by Ryan O'Reilly and did have uh, some pretty expensive line mates. And it was some pretty sleepy regular season games. It was right after an exciting trade deadline might be the best we ever seen him on the wing, but who knows? He's not leaving. He likes it here. He signed a contract extension here. He signed that contract with those clauses for a reason. He ain't going anywhere. And so, yeah. You know who this day was useful for? Whoever the GM is going to be. Because even the thought of approaching that guy with, will you move your new move? Probably died on the vine there. They got to do it for you. Hey, someone in media, please ask him if he's willing to wave his no move. Oh, he's as staunch about it as we expected him to be? Cool. John, we just want you to know, I'm management now, um, we never wanted you to move your no move. We view you as an important piece of this organization. Thank you for this. We expect you to bump out to the wing, whatever, whatever, whatever. But yeah, there's no point in asking about this. What are we doing here? He's a Toronto guy. He came home. He's got a family here, a young family here. And he's very rich. (laughs) Why would he move? Plus, He's clearly the kind of guy who is, uh, wants to hang out with his family kind of dude. He earned that right. Toronto gave him that contract. You can be mad. You can kick and moan about it all you want. John Tavares is going to be here. This is the opposite of the Magic Johnson meme. He is going to be here. Last thing, I'll be a little critical now. John, you scored no goals in the series against the Florida Panthers. You played 16 minutes in a game that was an elimination game for your team on the road against the Panthers. And yeah, you finished with one assist. Like in that series against the Panthers, the one that you guys got eliminated on, you can talk all you want about the Bruins beating or getting beat by Florida and it's a good team, whatever, whatever, whatever. You didn't score in five games. You were a dash in three of them. So three of the losses, you were a dash. You were under 17 minutes in two of the games, including one that went to overtime. And you had one assist. I know this is a hard day, and I know that you're wearing it. And it's natural, it's human nature to stick up for yourself when people are starting to pile on. But I don't really want to hear about how you're proud of the work you're doing off the puck, buddy. 
You didn't get 11 sheets for the work you're doing off the puck. You got 11 million bucks a season because you score goals because you were a premier goal scorer. And here's the thing. You got a lot of chances. He had four games in the series where he had five shots or more. Yes, everyone will point to, and rightfully so, the game three in which he only had two, and he was just as responsible for all the other guys. But if you were going to pick anyone in the series, he gets some credit for it, for getting open and getting to those spots, going to the dirty areas, creating a breakaways for himself, right? Nylander hit him with some absolute dimes in this series. Morgan Riley hit him with a breakaway dime in this series. And what did John Tavares do? A lot of shoveling the puck into Bobrovsky's pads, Or chest. Didn't even really make him work. What was the closest one he had? Like, all those shots in that series, and it didn't feel very threatening for a guy who has been, yes, again, one of the best goal scorers in the last decade. So, I'm sorry, man. You just can't bring that up. Nobody wants to hear that right now. And and like, I know, again, some of this is so lame how I'm staying up here going, you got to show some humility and show some contrition. It's like he was trying, duh. But yeah, give give people something on that, right? Just say you didn't finish your chances. You had some glorious opportunities. You're the captain of this team. You're here to score goals. And I don't care. Say it haunts you that you couldn't do that, right? Like Ryan O'Reilly's even thinking, he's going, man, I'm still processing this. I'm still processing. This is hard. This is great. It's just not, yeah, not the time, man. You're the leader of this team. I really, 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 really don't want to hear you talk about your work off the puck and the things that you were proud of of your game in that series. Sucks people are calling you old. Sucks people are calling you washed. You just scored a goal that people thought was going to live in history forever and ever. The captain wins them a series against Tampa Bay. He did it. And now nobody cares. Sucks, man. I I get it. People are way too hard on you at times in this market. But please, let... This always goes back. The anger, vitriol, whatever, is going to zag back eventually. It'll always happen. You'll get into the regular season. You'll stick it in your point of game. And people are going to go, you know, John Navarro takes a lot of flight, but he still gets a point of game. He's a reliable player. No, let's talk about this. But it was going to go back there. But you got to wear it right now. Don't stick up for yourself in this regard. Don't be telling people about you're proud of your games. Ugh, that was kind of icky. Didn't really enjoy that. Sorry, but today is Judgy Bug Day. I said I was going to be judgy, and I did not like that answer. All right. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. More Leafs. Michael Bunting next. Sports has a lot of cliches. It's pretty cliche-driven. When it comes to speech, I'm trying to think about all the cliches that I probably do as a sports talk host and being hypocritical, you know, being stones, glass houses kind of thing here. How many crutches I lean on. I'm not perfect, right? It's doing my best. I understand these guys are not smart in general to negotiate through the media, right? Just generally, generally, if you're negotiating with somebody, you don't want the back channels getting anything. Better to just be direct, in my experience. And hard to envision another way around, right? You don't want things lost in communication. You don't want to seem like shooting yourself in the foot, whatever. 
sure the agents get to these guys with that line. But one of my favorite things ever is athletes not really thinking about it right now. As a line of their approach to free agency. If I was in line, let's just was it if you, if all of us were in line for millions of dollars, millions. Genuinely, we are set up now, our whole families, everything we know is changed. From this summer forward, someone will table us an offer that will ensure that given some halfway responsible financial decisions, we'll be comfortable for the rest of our lives. We'll make more money in a year than we ever thought we would. Ryan O'Reilly, not really thinking about it right now. He's just processing it. So we hit the not really thinking about it right now counter for two. The Leafs have all those free agents that I listed earlier on the show today of, what is it? Ah, who cares? They've got a lot of guys. I don't know if they're going to talk to the David Camps of the world. Like, I don't know how far down we go with these exit interviews. Like, all of them have something to say, but like we're, we're really waiting on... Like Alex Kerfoot, he's pending free agent. I guess, sure. Smart guy, right? Are we getting Zach Aston Reese? <laughs> are we getting are we getting Czar out here today? Given getting his take on things. Anyways, point being that Leafs have a bunch of free agents, and we are going to keep the tracker now. I'm going to say two for Ryan O'Reilly. I think he said twice. Not really thinking about it right now. How many not? Am I not really thinking about it right now? Are we going to get from Michael Bunting, also pending free agent? Pretty much the talk of all before the trades, it was all about Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting, how much is he going to get paid? How can you bring back Michael Bunting? Is he going to be your own free agent? How much money is he going to get if it's 2.5? The numbers have fluctuated all over the place to the point where at one juncture, Frank Saravelli had him as the number one free agent. I think that speaks to this class, but I also do not think that is still the case. <laughs> it's, Tough if your organization's bringing in bunting as a four and a half, five million dollar player, which seems pretty reasonable for him. Either way, good couple of years with Toronto. Pretty polarizing player, but a pending free agent. And now that's going to kick in for him. But yeah, not a lot of, uh, for a guy that overperformed his contract to that degree, who is a local player, it is. This is a pretty unprecedented, no one's really talking about making sure he comes back guy. Like, it doesn't feel like there's going to be a ton of tears shed if he ends up leaving. I guess that's sort of the case with any of these players right now. But, yeah, especially with him. Anyways, here's Michael Bunting. Uh, I think, obviously, just kind of putting ourselves in that hole, going down uh, three games pretty quick, that's that's tough to come back, um, especially in this league. But I thought, we, I thought the games were really close. I thought... Um, we had chances, and, but they also had chances, and they capitalized on them. So I feel like that was kind of the difference. And um, yeah, it's definitely uh, unfortunate, but yeah. Michael, you've got a uh, big decision to make this summer for your, for your future. Can you kind of reflect on what this team has meant for you, and can you grade your chances of coming back next year? Yeah, that's this is the uh, unfortunate part of this business. Um, when contracts are up and decisions have to be made, and I'm going to be honest, I haven't even really thought about it. It's been only a couple of days, and I'll kind of let my agent handle that stuff going on and um, and just kind of be ready to make a decision when the time comes, but I'm not really sure. But that being said, 
uh, you know, coming home and playing in Toronto is it's been a dream dream of mine since I was a kid to play for for this team and put my uh, put the jersey over my head. So um, it's been pretty special to to play here, and it's been even more special meeting this group of guys. And uh, like we've I'm, I've heard you, I'm sure you've heard many guys say that we're very close, and uh, this is definitely the the closest team I've ever been on. So uh, it's it's been special um, every day, and I definitely haven't taken it for granted. Michael, the final seven playoff games, you guys scored 14 goals. Where did the offense go? You know, I, I think uh, I think Bobrovsky played uh, great, great series in the net over there, and uh, he he shut the door uh, for them, and he made their timely saves. But not, but our I thought our goaltenders played well as well. But uh, yeah. Obviously, the chances were there, but we just didn't capitalize on them, and I think that was the the biggest difference. Like I said before, with you know Florida had their chances and they capitalized, and um, a lot of those games were just one goal games that we lost by. So uh, it's unfortunate. Matthew Kachuk suggested their physical play may have worn you guys down as the series progressed. Did you feel that at all? Uh, no, I didn't feel that. I felt you know that's playoffs. That's playoffs is a very hard hard game, physical game, um, and I thought we responded really well to. To, to it, and I don't think we really backed down. But um, yeah, I just think it just comes down to you know capitalizing on the chances. Did you have any contract talks throughout the season at any point? Uh, no, uh, not really. I was just yeah, just playing hockey. That's all I was really fo- focused on was playing hockey and uh, and helping this team win. So um, and just kind of enjoying the moment. So I I wasn't really worried about all the the next stuff. We know, we know how much you love it here. Would you take a bit less if it meant staying at Maple Leaf? I, like I said, I haven't even thought about my future at all. It's It's been a 72 hours. I'm more focused on enjoying time with my teammates before everyone goes home. Obviously, I, I stay here. I'm from here, so everyone leaves leaves me. No, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I'm uh, I'm really worried about right now is is enjoying time with uh, my friends and uh, my teammates. Michael, there's a lot of pressure on the core in, the, in this city, and you got to know them. What stood out to you about Austin, Mitch, Willie, John, Morgan? Yeah, they they are exceptional players and exceptional people. That's one thing I noticed coming in here. They're all true pros, and they're all really good friends of mine. That um, I'm I'm very happy that I was able to meet them off the ice and just on the ice. They care. They care so much. They they want to win, and um, and you can just tell that they're true professionals on and off. So. Um, yeah, they, I think they've been they've been great all year for us, and they're they're our leaders, and they and they lead by example. You've offered a pretty incredible story last the last couple of years here. What do you think you've shown, or what are you proud of about your time here in Toronto so far? Yeah, I think I'm just proud of, uh, you know, I I definitely wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm a I'm a very emotional guy. I I uh, I'm a kind of a yeah team first guy, so I, I felt like I went out there every single night um, and and worked hard and. And showed my passion, and and just try to help this team win um, at any time, and you know had my teammates back when I when I needed to, and and I just felt like I I tried to leave everything on the ice anytime I, I stepped on it. So um, yeah, it's been a it's been a great uh, couple of years, and um, like I said, I haven't taken it for granted. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Okay, I hate that one. Uh, okay. One, let's do the funny part. What are you proud of here? That's the question that we're getting out at last. It's kind of, his family can ask him that. Thanks. What are you proud of here? Okay. Is that what the... 
Like, you represent the fans. The brutal Toronto media, just unbelievably brutal. You, just, you can't escape it. They're so brutal, these guys. The killers. What are we, you, what are you proud of? Hey, the city is in mourning over this core, and yeah, you also really didn't produce in this thing and took a huge suspension in the first round, and what are you proud of? Well, really proud of the friends I made along the way is what we got. That was the answer. <laughs> oh, everybody leaves me. I'm hanging out here in the summer. <laughs> okay. That sure seemed like a guy who knows he's coming into a big old bag of money and is pretty happy about a big old bag of money coming his way. And yeah, the, the playoff defeats. He's probably not going to wear for too hard over too long. Huh. Anyway, didn't love that. Uh, what else? Yeah, enjoy the time with my teammates. Ha, ha, ha. Ugh. That is so annoying. Uh, okay, the next thing. Yeah, take a little bit less. He laughed because he knows again. He's thinking about the money. He said the line again, right? Did we only get two counts of it? Did we get two counts? I think it was two. Do we get two counts? Yeah. Eh, he kind of laughed it off the second time. He's like, yeah, I'm obviously I'm thinking about it, but I have to say this. My agent says, come on, stop asking me about this, fellas. And am I going to take less? <laughs> no. You take less. You go into your next contract negotiation and tell somebody to take less. Michael Bunting doesn't have generational wealth, ladies and gentlemen. Look into his story. Guy deserves every single penny that he's going to earn in free agency. Good for him. He's not coming off of some big contract. This isn't somebody that's, you know, playing for his second deal, whatever. Or his, sorry, his second big money deal. This isn't John Tavares who's going to finish with more money than Kings. He was a $1 million guy. 900 grand for the last two seasons. Took a bet on himself. The bet paid off. That's awesome. Good for him. Go get your money, man. You've deserved it. You've earned it. You've produced here. You had great regular seasons. Still a little annoying to hear you do it that way. But here's the thing. Goodbye, Michael Bunting. And goodbye to this attitude, please. I think we're all begging for this to go away. Where did the offense go is the question. And the answer is Bobrovsky. Excuses. That needs to go away for whatever iteration we get of the Toronto Maple Leafs next the excuse culture that has been built here. The Sometimes the puck doesn't go in the net. Their goalie was terrific. Just, you weren't good enough. You didn't score goals. You scored two goals in six straight games. Seven? A nightmare. This is not... The dead puck era. You are not the New Jersey Devils. Two goals a game. This is an offensive team. This is a team that took lottery tickets in net. 
because they thought, you know what, we should be able to outscore our problems. You guys didn't score. You were a guy who played in the top six. You were someone who had, I want to say, 46 goals in two seasons as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And you were a part of the lack of production. And so, yeah, I'm sorry, but that just lame. That's just lame. Own it, man. Own that you guys weren't good enough. Bobrovsky was good. He, let the other people do that for you. The rest of the world is going to point out that Sergei Bobrovsky had a good series. Did he have a great series? I don't know. I think he got a little overstated how good he was, given the nature of some of the chances for Toronto. But, man, no more of this in the city, for the love of God. And I really hope we don't hear that, because I'm off the air here in a bit. I'm going to hand it off to Jeff Merrick, who's got it from noon to two. Then it's Marchese, who's got a special show from two to three to carry you over to Real Kipper and Bourne, which is going to be fire today. Boy, I can't wait to hear Kipper. Kipper is going to be lights out today. And I wonder what those guys think needs to change. And then, yeah, fan drive five to seven. So, yeah, we're, we're sticking with this all day here at the fan, okay? Everybody's going to have great coverage of it. This is an incredible lineup that we've got here. Uh, can't wait to listen to just about everybody do it. I'll probably be plugged in for a lot of this day. But, man, oh, man, oh, man, please, for the love of God, if I could say one thing, if I'm the PR guy, if I was a coach, if I was anybody, a friend to Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, and I was saying, okay, are you guys going to be here? Because do not do that approach. Do not get to the podium today and start talking about how you didn't get the bounces. The only game you won in Florida, you got one of the greatest two bounces in the series. A puck that had eyes that Bobrovsky somehow missed and a puck that bounced off the back of the end board right onto William Nylander's stick after a horrific power play. You create your own luck, okay? Sports has luck. Everybody knows that. Not to cross-sport this, and I know I'm comparing them to one of the greatest athletes who ever lived, but if any of y'all watch LeBron James close out the Golden State Warriors, y'all see 38-year-old LeBron just grab that game by the horns and go, nah, this is over. I'm ending this series. I'm taking over. Different sport, different player, probably a bit of unfair characterization, but even still, where was that from the Leafs at some point? So for the star players today, 0 for 2. Michael Bunting going up there saying it was the goalie. John Tavares saying he was proud of the way he played off the puck and that he did other good things. <laughs> okay. Okay. Please, Mitch Marner. Please, Austin Matthews. For the love of God, do not get up to the podium today and start telling people that you guys are hard done by in any way. The two of you make $22 million combined. There are hundreds of thousands of people in this city, in this area, that wear your names on their backs proudly. Not just to games. Do not come out to this city and tell these fans that care so much about this team that you guys were snake bit and that you had some bad luck and that you know the character in the room, but that everybody else is an idiot who's starting to question after seven seasons of nothing burgers from you guys that you guys are something that you refuse to 
prove, despite giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. No, you're not listening to this. But still, do not make excuses today. When have you ever heard an excuse that you thought was good? Like, when does it ever happen in life where someone starts making an excuse and you go, oh, you know what? This is good. I'm enjoying this. Tell me more about your problems. Tell me more why the world is against you and it wasn't your fault. No, it's good. I, I had an outdoor ed teacher when I was in grade eight, grade nine. I know some of you in Toronto don't have outdoor ed, so you don't know what I'm talking about. It's like I'm a Yukon kid. We basically went rafting and doing trips outdoors, and you'd stay out in the woods. And I got cabin fever essentially one time. And I tried to fight a guy who was like way bigger than me. <laughs> it was really stupid. But I started it. Uh, yeah, whatever. We both started it. But we got in this fight. And I almost died. Almost got this, this big fella named Dan. Almost whooped me into not being here today. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, I'm in grade 10. And maybe this guy is, yeah, it was grade 10. Uh, I think this guy was already six foot four. I was just a tiny little string bean, and I tried to have a go. Wrong. Size and fighting is very important. Um, so as I get saved from certain death, from this mauling of this huge teenager, uh, we get pulled aside by the outdoor ed teacher, who's furious because we were fighting over who gets to sleep in the middle of the tent because it's freezing in the Yukon. And if you're on the outside of the tent, the condensation and the coldness sucks. But if you're in the inside of the tent, good times. Might have a decent sleep. And when you're on like day six of the river trip, trust me, you will be fighting somebody who's twice your size to sleep in the middle of the tent. I guarantee you. I guarantee it. So this fight ends. And the outdoor ed teacher pulls us aside. And he starts giving us what for, right? And he's this big dude named Mr. T. Commands a ton of respect. Teasdale, not... Uh, Anyway, and he pulls us aside and he starts hammering up. And immediately, the kid I fought goes, I'm sorry, it was my fault. And guess what little old me was yapping away at? And he was doing this and he was doing thing in the water and I was cold and it was my turn for the middle of the tent. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. He lets Dan walk away and he keeps me. And I'm in way more trouble. Like, Dan's off scot-free, and I can't believe it. I'm just, like, losing my mind going, what are you talking about? So he gets nothing, and I've got this. And, yes, I'm now sleeping on the outside of the tent. I got to do dishes extra. I got to do some other chores. I can't remember what the hell they were now. It was so long ago. But I got hammered, pasted across the wall with all the punishments, and he just walked away. And I was like, you like him more than me, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at me, and he goes, you know why? I'll just let him walk. So he knew what he did wrong, and he owned it. And you're here making excuses, whining to me, about why this wasn't your fault when you were obviously just as culpable as he was. He already learned his lesson. I don't need to teach him anything else. You didn't learn yours. Now go to work. Stuck with me my whole life. Learn the same lesson today, Toronto Maple Leafs. You've already made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Every year you come out with the same attitude. And every year, your general manager backed you and gave you more and more opportunities. You're not snake bit. You're not hard done by. You've been given everything. Keys to the city, money, fame, adulation, and opportunity. And you blew it. 
again. So own it. We'll see you tomorrow.